flying in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars stands. Wish I had a million dollars. Wish I had a million dollars. Wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. Hello, cats and kittens, and welcome to episode 32 of The Debrief. 32. Can you believe it? I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray, uh, and I'm coming to you this evening to talk about, as is typical, the latest episode of Bad Faith Podcast. This week I spoke to Grace Blakely from The Tribune, also author, um, about something that has confused me for a very long time. It came up at the end of last of the last uh, episode of the debrief. It is crypto and how it's playing a role in the Russia Ukraine crisis. You know, I've been endeavoring to find ways to cover the ongoing conflict um, in ways that are a little bit off the beaten path. Since I know there's a glut of information happening right now, so I'm very interested to see what you guys thought of this episode. What questions, concerns you have, and as always, if there are other things beyond this week's conversation on Bad Faith Podcast that are on your mind, as is typical, uh, I would like to start us off by playing a brief clip, a brief orienting clip from this week's episode. Uh, one in which I ask all of the dumb questions about cryptocurrency, so you don't have to. I know a lot of you in the chat are probably much more knowledgeable about this, and I look forward to getting all of my actuallys shortly. <laughs> Here we go. You have this idea of a decentralized, a distributed ledger, whereby no one individual or computer or entity has a control over or has a... a um, yeah, the kind of control over um, the record keeping, as it were, but that record keeping is kind of decentralized to all these different nodes in that network. And therefore, it kind of doesn't rely, as I said, on any one actor to verify what's been going on. It means this, that this is this is insanity. I, I mean, it's not my my not understanding crypto isn't a, a feature of me not trying. Oh, no, <laughs> like, it's very, I'm not very an curious person. You know, I've read I've I've read meaning an article, but it's crazy to me that we're all walking around. Okay. So here, here's my fundamental, here's the thing, part of my fundamental issue. The, the nature of what a currency is, is already a sort of abstraction, a real life token of abstracted value that is, I guess, guaranteed to have that value by the state. Crypto is literally token less it is a quote unquote digital token, but we're calling it a currency, even though it feels like the purpose of a currency is to make concrete that ephemeral notion of value. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a stretch at this point to call any of the major cryptocurrencies. And there are obviously a lot. Bitcoin just being the first. There's now like Ethereum, Tether, which is itself pegged to the dollar. There's loads of them, and it would be a stretch to call any of them um, currencies. And then there's also all the kind of meme coins, right, which are basically just pyramid schemes. Um, I'll, I'll kind of get to that in a minute. Most of these do not provide all of the things that you would need, um, all of the services, all of the um, you know uh, requisites of a currency that you would usually expect. Um, part of the reason for that is that they're very volatile. So they, you know, experience major swings in value. This is part of the reason why people like in, you know, in Ukraine and Venezuela and countries where um, the currency is uh, is very volatile have tried to use crypto 
of unfortunately they're also finding that actually crypto is subject to the same sort of massive swings in value it's again when we're thinking about what a currency is it's easy to kind of abstract and just say it's this kind of pure um economistic thing um that you know five pounds is five pounds or you know going back five pounds is worth x amount of dollars um dollars and x amount of dollars is worth x amount of gold but really you know when you go back to the origins of what a currency was developed as it was used by states basically um and it was often it, it came in the form of debt so you know the, the way that the said the bank of england was initially set up was that um the monarch needed a loan and the central bank agreed to issue that loan in the form of paper notes and those paper notes then circulated and the reason people trusted the circulation of those paper notes as opposed to physical coins was that they were backed up by the power of the sovereign of the state and they were backed up by the power of a very powerful sovereign and a very powerful state and when you start thinking about it in those terms the political elements of what starts to constitute a currency and what constitutes a stable currency and a reliable currency um come into the fore Oh boy, you guys have really got to um, watch the video version of this if you haven't already so you can truly appreciate my glazed over <laughs> expression. <laughs> Who's going to help me out here tonight? Okay, Sam, you're up. You're up first. What do you think of it all? Um, hey, Bri, I really enjoyed it. I was really happy to see um, someone on the left, a progressive, actually discussing crypto cryptocurrencies and what they actually are instead of um, just saying Ponzi scheme, uh, end of story. Mm. <laughs> so um, I really enjoyed it. And I um, enjoyed the commentary on the international um, uh, importance of currencies on the global stage, for example, like the dollar, the rising of the renminbi, and um, the struggle for global hegemony from these imperialist nations. Um, that was kind of glossed over a bit, but you guys went over a bit, over it. And I think that's the biggest macro trend people should be really, really should be looking at. Um, but I would say, I would like to say like, um, progress as the US dollar declines on the global stage, progressives are going to be blamed for the destruction of the US economy, even though no progressive po policies are ever passed. Mm. So I, I see that happening. Do you have any questions, Brianna, on like cryptocurrencies in general, second layer um, platforms or like the the digital remit buy? Well, Sam, why are you why are you so interested in crypto? Why do you feel like it's so important for the left to be knowledgeable here? Help help me I, help me understand. I think it's really important because the left has hasn't gotten any real political gains, policy gains in the last four, five, six years, other than placating and like half measures that end up falling apart, and um, people become more disinterested in 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 policies and policy in general. Um, and I, and if you look at cryptocurrencies, I was. Um, uh, on the super far left, um, and as as Bernie kind of didn't like Bernie stopped trying and didn't go wasn't more aggressive against Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton. I just eventually kind of gave up, went to cryptocurrency, sold everything I had um, in terms of assets for for Bitcoin, and I was like 
screw it. I'm not playing these games anymore. I'm not going to be part of this imperialist system. Um, but how, and I can you help me understand how converting all your assets into Bitcoin helps you feel free of our imperialist system? The U.S. dollar is made to be an exploitation of the, on the international uh, stage. If you make a T-shirt for dollars, your labor, you'll get paid more than than like a third world country, and that's because of the uh, the explicit or implicit um, exploitation of the dollar benefits the. Uh, provides as a benefit to the to the US. It allows foreign labor, foreign value, let's say value in general, to be exploited and drawn into the United States. So dollars are printed, they're sent overseas as we purchase goods, and that money gets reinvested back in the United States to increase our overall asset market values. Um, so that we can take up take loans and blah 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 and that cycle repeats. We also topple uh, foreign governments end up putting in di- dictators, loaning them U.S. dollars, getting them into debt, and saying that they owe us. And now right, they're but I, becoming I, slave nations. I, I understand I all that, but I, I guess I'm curious, because whatever assets you had, you earned in U.S. dollars, right? I did so I, I'm US just, dollars, I'm yeah. curious what the, the pro- I'm not trying to be adversarial. I'm, I'm genuinely trying to yeah. understand what the, the process of converting them, just converting them into Bitcoin does to decouple you from that if ultimately you're not able to earn money in Bitcoin? Um, I, so I'm an accelerationist, Brianna, mm-hmm. and I think the more dollars I can pump back into the system, so by purchasing Bitcoin, I kind of like uselessly, I just throw these dollars back into the system rather than my savings account or my, my assets in general that I, I found not, not valuable. Those dollars go back in. It creates inflation as those dollars can be used to purchase other goods. Um, I'd rather I want whether whether it's politically or economically. I want this imperialist system to blow up because if we can't um, create policy change from within, then I'll do whatever I can, even if it's minuscule on my part, to purchase Bitcoin and create a hazardous economic environment. I know it doesn't make much sense on an individual level. But if this happened in mass, it would make a big change and make a big difference. And it's just kind of, it's a part of the uh, economics behind Bitcoin and throwing more dollars in the system in general. Um, but I, I also feel like it's just, an, it's an escape hatch that most people don't think about. And they just think right wing speculative economy, blah, blah, blah. I don't look at it that way. Yeah. Are you concerned about your ability, you know, the, the stability of Bitcoin or the pot- potential that the value of your assets might decline? It's stressful, Brianna. Mm. It is stressful. Um, but overall, like, the value has gone up since I purchased it not that long ago, maybe a year and a half, two years mm-hmm. ago. Um, but I was able to easily provide, like, mutual aid to parties through Twitter like I met people on Twitter, I told them to download the app. I was able to send mutual aid to people that I, I had uh, I had known. I've grown to love peer to peer, and I sent them mutual aid so that they can raise money for whatever cause they were um, that they were really putting their own labor in towards, and or they needed help with some bills. So I see it as a tool that can be used for great purposes, and it's also a useful tool in, for like um, an underground economy of peer-to-peer transactions through 
socialists and communists that are currently trying to get together and avoid well paying taxes on hey I, like you can say it's legal or what but there are there are parts of society that are underground in order to create policy change or to like protest and there are a lot of benefits of this, of this currency in general so i in, in general i really liked that you brought up the topic because it's taboo on most platforms most progressive platforms so i really appreciate that Brianna. yeah no problem i don't i know sometimes i feel like i'm walking around in a veil of ignorance i don't even know i don't even know that i'm doing something taboo, <laughs> taboo. um it's i just taboo on, on twitter spaces um i could i just go in uh, i'm in a lot of communist and social spaces but i'll get kicked for having glowing eyes okay <laughs> Is our glowing eyes a crypto thing? Oh my goodness! I'm just I'm learning so much. <laughs> what do What do the glowing point. eyes um, denote? Denote. They're basically basically like hope, hopium, hoping for Bitcoin to reach a hundred thousand, which would mean that the U.S. dollar is inflating so rapidly that people are just escaping towards Bitcoin. So they're praying for a hundred k in terms of the value of one coin. And what's it at now? I think it's around 38000 give or take. And what would cause the value of it to go up? More people buying it? Yeah. So the more people that actually take uh, these coins off, they purchase them, then they take them off exchange into their own private wallets, which cannot be censored, um, that would cause the price to go up. And as long as people are interacting with it, uh, let's, say, let's say you needed to sell some to buy a car for your family, Mm-hmm. Well, then that would kind of bring the price down. And at the same time, someone else is buying it, um, which can also make the price go up. It just really depends on how there are more buyers or sellers at that specific moment. All right, Sam, yeah. you're helping me to some stuff. I'm really interested to see what others in the chat have to say, but I appreciate you getting in line and starting us off on this on this foot. Thanks, Brianna. All Bye. right, Sam, take care of yourself. All right, Sylvester, what do you make of it all? BB, <laughs> how you doing? Oh, I'm well. I'm well. I'm well. How how are you and your your millions doing today? <laughs> Lol. Well, apparently I should take some of my millions and put it into Bitcoin. What do you think about that? <laughs> the way you talk about Bitcoin sound like yo. This is like Sonic's the Hedgehog coins. I don't get it. I don't. You know, if y'all like it, I love it for y'all. Um, yo, I understand Sonic the Hedgehog. I was a demon. <laughs> I like to play with tails. I, I am like I an expert on <laughs> Sonic compared to what I know about Bitcoin, but I'm trying. I'm I trying. I know. Hey, bless your heart for trying. <laughs> um, the, the thing is, the funny thing is, the most interesting part of the uh, the the podcast last night for me was at the end of the podcast. Mm. That's that's where I kind of you know because then I think we get to get into our Miss Cleo bag and you know kind of play crystal ball. And no pun intended, um, and look into the future in terms of uh, what are our actions today in terms of the geopolitical landscape? How is that going to affect, disrupt, or create a new world order potentially down the line, especially when all these sanctions are crippling Russia, right? That's going to get Russia more geared over to China, China is coming up, and then, like Homegirl was saying, she was talking about, you know, we're not just going to give that up. The fact that, you know, basically, we, you know, with, we have the uh, the world's currency. That's what she was saying, right? Mm-hmm. The reserve currency. Mm-hmm. The reserve currency. 
we not just going to give that up, but then us having that backing allows us to basically play Teflon with anybody and put sanctions on this person and this person. But then when we do something or when we're actively committing war crimes, nobody can sanction us. So I'm wondering, do you, because no empire lasts forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that the U.S. <laughs> recognizes that and says, you know what? Let's pivot to making more relationships and get off of this imperialistic stuff. Or do you think that we just we can't get in the way of our own? Uh, we can't get out get out of our own way, and we end up just going down this Roman era esque type of collapse. Uh, I'm gonna take door number two, Sylvester. Damn, 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 damn. <laughs> Come on, look at America. You know America. You've been here. <laughs> you know how we do. You know. <laughs> Okay, you your little face. Okay, we're not entering this for good face. <laughs> look, I was I was asking this. Look, I don't know anything about anything. I'm just trying to piece together and put my little analytical brain on a couple of facts that were thrown my way. And it just seemed to me to be interesting, depending on how quickly you think um, the R&B is going to take precedence, or at least we are in a kind of uh, whoa, bipolar whoa, whoa, whoa. situation. R- R&B, I'm thinking you're talking to music. Let's, let's use layman terms. Ch- Chinese currency is going to take okay. value. There we go. Take precedence. <laughs> Depending on who just walked in the room right now, just trying to get everything. <laughs> no, you're right. You're, you're, you're completely right. But, you know, so they were talking about, you know, the fact that we have a unipolar situation right now and have had since the end of the cold war where it's just American hegemony, like one country dominance. Whereas we might be moving into a more bipolar situation now where some combination of Russia and China have a kind of similar level of influence as the United States and can put together their own little coalitions and play their own little games. And I was just trying to logic out, like I could see a world where if America sees the end on its horizon, that while today it might advantage the United States to come down hard on cryptocurrency because it impedes its ability to, um, you know, monkey around with the rest of the world, to Sam's point, um, if it sees the end for the United States as hegemony, like fairly proximate, I might say, okay, like, I don't like getting screwed over, but like, let me let the mafia go a little bit because it's going to help me down the line. We're all going to have to be on the black market a little bit down the line so that we don't have to deal with China and Russia. That was just, that was just, I have no basis for this. This was me just like trying to think, think things through. Okay. Okay. I know. I see that. I mean, it, 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 it it does kind of, because I see the, I see door number two. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I see that that's the way that we we heading just because we just prideful as hell, you know. And then and then so many people aren't really hip to what's really going on that they just going along to get along, or they fighting over the wrong thing. Like I see, it's funny because like now the COVID restrictions are coming down, but then we still. I think the conservatives are still doing this little convoy thing. Still, and it's kind of like, all right, y'all are getting what y'all want. But instead of like attacking like the real forces that are creating these environments and like you know the economic um, issues that we're all dealing with as a society, instead of like really attacking tackling that, people were just really disorganized, like all over all over the board. Um, and damn, that's kind of sad. I'm kind of sad. I'm kind of sad. Yeah, I, no, I hear that. I my I got a notice from my building today saying that you know we don't have to wear masks anymore, and it feels like it's all over. And yeah, a lot of people who were very upset 
I feel like we'll have the, you know, for some, some of some, for some reasons that I think are legitimate are going to have the wind taken out of their sails. And this takes me back to the conversation about the truckers, the Canadian trucker protest and wondering, you know, that question of should the left be trying to funnel this energy in a useful way? Cause it does seem like there are bigger structural complaints that were being made about the pharmaceutical industry and, you know, and on the state side of things, the cost, you know, whether we can trust, trust the companies that have an incentive to have us on a kind of recurring booster system and all, you know, given the behavior of these industries in the past, the fact that the pharmaceutical companies are making so much money off of this vaccine, even if it's free to the consumer, it's still being paid for by these tax dollars and what are the arrangements that are being made and yada, yada, yada. So it would be nice if there had been some capitalization on that populist energy to the extent that it's sincere, but We'll see if this morphs into something more toxic or if it just goes away, that energy. Does, does it change your electoral strategy? I guess when you kind of like, I mean, it's, it's kind of like you're like, you know, I think we're going to blow ourselves up <laughs> down the line because, if you know, if the U.S. is not going to let this thing go. So does that change how you structure out your electoral strategy? You mean, does, you mean Russia, Ukraine or no, no, vaccine the, the, the whole. No, all the China, the China, Russia, because that's coming. That's still coming down the line. The the Taiwan, well, I, I think it's Taiwan, right? Yeah, Taiwan is the place with the microchips. That everybody with the wants. microchips. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anything about yeah. the microchips, but yeah, like so. I was having this conversation with some people recently, and there are a lot of folks that feel very strongly that because of polls that are coming out right now, like literally like a week out from the invasion, or you know just really recent polls that this is like good for Biden. You know, people are really approving of Biden's handling of this. There's all this messaging that people, you know, there's a poll that showed that a majority of Americans are happy to pay whatever at the pump. If it means that we can help Ukraine and people are really leaning into the idea that, that this war makes everything better for (laughs) Biden. And I'm sorry, but I'm seeing those polls and I don't believe them because every time I'm talking to someone, every time I see a comment in a YouTube thread, you know, I I, I tweeted this, but last night I was on the way home from, you know, hanging out with folks and I, my, my Lyft drove by a gas station and there was an older man standing outside of the gas station, taking a picture of the numbers. And I tried to take a picture of him taking a picture of the numbers because I was like, this is the moment, like everyone's trying to document this. Right. moment we're in and i don't think that he was taking the, that picture thinking gee golly willikers i'm so excited about this because you know it, it's it's helping ukraine or something you know what i mean oh. i think he was taking the picture to go complain about it to somebody send it to his cousin or whatever be like can you believe this shit so i don't think that's real and already i saw some newer stuff today that shows those numbers are slipping and people are already struggling i don't know how many times burning people have to say that 40% of Americans can't respond to a $400 emergency. And people are talking about, I just put $40, uh, you know, gas in my car and the dial never like barely moved. Sorry. I don't drive. So I don't really understand how cars work, okay. <laughs> but I'm hearing it's bad. Um, okay. You know, and not to mention, you know, heating costs for homes. And there's much of the country that's still very much in winter and Europe's blowing a gasket because they're all cold and they get 75% of their oil and gas per last week's episode from Russia. And it was not, you know, still laying off sanctioning of um, Russian gas and oil lines. We're opening up Venezuela because apparently we didn't care about any humanitarian, anything. And then the sanctions were all bullshit. 
um, as evidenced by how quickly we will release them to suit our geopolitical preferences. And yeah, it is all very disappearing. So that's all to say that I don't think that anyone should like the idea that anyone would try to further a conflict that's resulting in such human costs and loss of life to help Joe Biden is already craven and despicable. It's even more so given that I don't think it's actually going to help Biden or to the extent that it did would. It's so marginal given that he's going to get the Democrats are going to get thrashed regardless right. that it's, it's just unconscionable to even be thinking that way. No, nah, no, nah, I'm with you. So, yeah, I, I'll go back. I'll go back to the drawing board with it. You know, once I, you know, let all this stuff process. But I think what I what I hope that we really start pushing for is like using this as an opportunity to divest from our military, you know, investments, even though I know that's going to be kind of tough because they're going to try to use this as a reason why we need to beef it up even more and go over 800 billion the next time this thing comes around because of Russia and because of potentially China. But then this is the time for us to really divest from that so we can, you know, lessen these conflicts around the world. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, thank you, Sylvester, for calling in and for anybody who wants to, um, Think more about that. I actually went on Rising this morning and talked about exactly that subject. Uh, the Stephen Simler, who you know has been on the podcast a couple of times, uh, wrote a piece in Jacobin about um, the increased military budget, the percent of that that goes to um, private defense companies, which is like fifty percent, uh, and what that means you know, from a leftist perspective. And I offered some commentary on that this morning. Of course, we know Rising has been booted from youtube for really despicable reasons i don't know if you've been following the story i was trying to try to get ryan or somebody else to come on and talk about it this week because it's kind of wild they basically played a trump clip where he's talking about other stuff that they were comment commenting on but because trump always like can't help himself saying like and the election was rigged like he just throws that in there for a little spice he said that at some point and nobody really commented on it because it wasn't what the segment was about. It was just a one-off. And apparently because they included that clip and didn't actively refute the idea that the election was rigged, the whole rising YouTube channel with its million-plus subscribers was pulled from the internet and banned for, I think, uh, an entire week. So the clips are posting on Facebook, and I think they're posting on the Hills website, but not on YouTube where they get most of their traffic, and that's pretty crazy. But I did still go on this morning, and we talked about that. Um, if you are interested in hearing more about that, Jonathan, you're up. Meet yourself and let me know what's on your mind this evening. Ah, it's doing it again. Hold on. I can hear you. Yeah. Jonathan? Yeah. yeah I can hear you just fine. Time, every time I got called up on the stage. There we go. Okay. <laughs> anyway. I'm glad you're with us. Yeah, what's what's on your mind? Uh, well, uh, firstly, I definitely would like to hear that episode with Ryan Grimm because I have been following that and Mm. that is, that's bananas. I mean, I thought they had a special whitelist for big companies like the Hill, but evidently not. Yeah. So yeah, I would like to, I definitely would like to hear that episode. Uh, the, uh, on the main topic, I can tell you're kind of going through what I was going through when I tried to start teaching myself a lot of this stuff uh, a few years back. Like, it's, like, there's a lot of very, very abstract concepts that you have to hold in your head at once. And, like, that frustration, like, that's very familiar to me. Like, yeah, I'm just, out here like this. Fire, air, and dirt. Fucking Magnus. How do they work? And not a- 
Yeah, no, I, I know it. I know that feeling intimately and like you never fully lose it. And I can tell you sometimes it helps to, you know, because the like a lot of the MMT economists that I follow, they like to talk about things in terms of interlocking balance sheets. And sometimes it does help to draw it out or write it out. But, uh, you know, I, I thought Grace did a, a pretty good job of uh, touching on the fine points uh, without getting sucked into the weeds too much, because there really is a lot that you were you were trying to touch on in that episode. That's really like five episodes worth of material that you would need to really flesh that out. And you know, just the crypto thing, uh, she did a pretty good job of explaining that it was you know it's basically just a speculative commodity. Uh, you know, it's not really a currency, mm-hmm. and people are trying to treat it like a currency, but it's it's essentially you know it's like gold or silver. Like when you see on late night Fox News. Uh, invest in gold, the dollar is going to collapse. Well, unfortunately, those commodities only have value as long as state currencies have value and you can exchange them for those things. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, if you think of these like a much more volatile version of, uh, you know, say uh, mortgage-backed securities or other kinds of derivatives, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you know what happens uh, when that bubble eventually pops. But here's the uh, thing with mor- with with mortgage-backed securities. I understand that it's all made up, but you can explain what a mortgage-backed sec- security is. People people took out mortgages on actual properties, and you know uh, you know financial institutions decided we can lump this debt together, spread the risk out, and sell them off to people for a certain amount of value. Like that that is like tangible to me and makes sense to me in a way that I'm sorry, crypto still does not because it's yeah, I, computer go war, war, buzz, buzz. <laughs> but that, that, no, you're, you're exactly right. Your instinct is correct. Like it, it ultimately is, um, you know, similar to, you know, the most famous bubble in history was called the Dutch tulip mania. I think it was in the, mm-hmm. in the 1600s and all over Europe, everybody just had to have tulip bulbs. And people were were growing them like crazy, shipping them out all over the place. The price was going through the roof for no real reason. I mean, they're tulips, for goodness sake. And, you know, all of a sudden, one day, everybody decided we're tired of tulips. And all these people were left holding these massive inventories of tulips they had paid a fortune for. And, you know, they just sat there rotting. And, you know, these kinds of things happen with imaginary, you know, the, a lot of the value, you know, associated with this stuff is imaginary. It's just a speculative frenzy that's, uh, in this case, just decoupled from any real resources. And so, you know, like I, the crypto bros are going to come for me anyway, because I say stuff like that on Twitter. But, uh, you know, and they're going to be Sam mad about Sam. it. <laughs> yeah, he'll, like he'll, he'll be back at me and, and like. You know, I understand like some people have a lot emotionally invested in in some ideas behind crypto. There's even like a there's even a blockchain socialist that uh, the Macro and Cheese podcast interviewed some time ago, where he more focuses on the blockchain technology and its and its uh, you know other types of uses besides cryptocurrency. But uh, you know, in in this case, I, I think you know the the notion that uh, this is going to be some kind of, of system disrupting thing, uh, I don't think is, is terribly realistic. And there's a lot more going on with a ruble. Uh, you know, again, the macro and cheese just interviewed a friend of, of Fadel Kaboobs, mm. uh, this uh, Ukrainian economist named uh, Alexander Valchishin, who uh, was a financial analyst before he went and got his PhD. 
at uh, University of Missouri, Kansas City, and or he's working on it anyway. He's almost done with it. And, you know, he uh, had, was talking about some stuff that, frankly, I hadn't really heard anywhere else, including, you know, Ukraine and Russia have both had a problem, you know, historically since the 90s in particular, uh, with the fact that their uh, currency that they issue is not the only currency of account. So merchants are taking euros, they're taking dollars. And, you know, this had a kind of a disruptive influence on the economy. And, you know, there's a, a, a distinct possibility that, uh, you know, that he brought up that Putin was in a lot of ways probably uh, directly courting sanctions to try and keep some of those foreign currencies out of the economy and, and stabilize the ruble, mm-hmm. which, you know, at a, to a certain degree he's done. And if he's done it correctly, there will be a floor to how low the ruble is going to go. And you've started seeing it rebounding. Uh you know, like I said, you can spend you can spend several episodes talking about the possibilities of where they're going to go and whether these sanctions might actually backfire more on the U.S. and Europe than they do on Russia. You know, if Russia tries to use this as some sort of, um, you know, backdoor industrial policy to sort of develop their their productive capacity more, start trading more with China, develop an alternate payment system, uh, you know, Honestly, that could certainly disrupt the current system, but I don't necessarily think, you know, I'm really not sure which way that's going to go. It might not be a bad thing at all. Why don't you think that crypto is going to be a significant part of that, um, given that Ukraine is the fourth cryptoist, (laughs) uh, fourth largest crypto market uh, in the country, even you know, before this happened. And, you know, I, I, even if you don't think that crypto is going to be as influential as maybe some other folks do, are you saying that you don't think it's really going to play much of a role at all and that it's going to be about pivoting to other currencies? Yeah, I don't think it's going to – like I don't think it's useful to even think of it as a currency. I think people use derivatives and securities and things like that to kind of like envelopes to move money around uh, as opposed to uh, as money themselves. It's, it's just a way to, to uh, you know, keep capital moving around. And what do you so, think about someone like Sam taking, you know, transferring all of his assets into crypto? I mean, I understand what you're saying about it being more like any other kind of speculative instrument, but it is being treated, at least by some people, I feel a little differently than, you know, you don't expect someone to take all their assets and convert them into CDOs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, some people do do silly things like that, but I mean, I, I think like ultimately, um, you know, if, if this thing hits a big crash and it implodes like the Dutch tulip mania, when the bubble pops, a lot of those people are going to be hurting real bad. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, maybe it'll reinflate again and go up whenever there's a time of instability, kind of like gold does. But, uh, you know, I think right now what you're seeing is, is those, those kinds of speculative assets are just, uh, way overvalued and you know it's kind of a it's it's like a little bit of a feeding frenzy and you know eventually you know that music's got to stop and uh somebody's left holding the bag somebody's left without a chair so to speak mm. and i think those people are are going to lose their shirts if they put everything in there like they they need to diversify i, I, yeah. I guess the way that people are thinking is that it's not that i mean on some level, that can happen regardless, right? That's why there's all this interest in, in crypto right now in Russia because the ruble's 
going wild in Ukraine, you know, the accounts are frozen. People don't have access to their money. And so it's seen as an alternative. Like, obviously, cur- like real current, normal currencies as we think of them, real currencies, sometimes dip and flow and are unstable and people lose their shirt. So it's, it feels to me like if I'm going to steal man this a little bit from the crypto angle, that people are basically betting that it, this is more stable than the alternative. So if you are in Russia or Ukraine right now, that might be true. And the idea is that they, they think that – not that they deny that it's a bubble, just like the dollar ultimately is going to be a bubble. There's going to come an end day for us all, but that they have a greater confidence in the longevity of that bubble than maybe you do. Uh, you know, on the short term, that may, you know, that may be valid, but that's also true of, of any commodity. So, I mean, you could, you could think, uh, gold or, or something like that, you know, might be, uh, a little more secure in the short term. But in the long term, uh, you know, all of these things derive their value, uh, you know, from, from state money. And, you know, if you're basically locked in, in say Russia by sanctions right now, you know, and there's only so many places you can go, uh, you know, the the ruble fundamentally derives its value from the integrity of the Russian government. And as long as that government is there and there's things you can buy with that currency, uh, that currency is still going to have value. Like there's only so low it can go. Crypto, as you pointed out, is not tethered to anything. Like it's it's just in the ether somewhere. It's a completely abstract concept that you know, only has value as long as people are, are willing to pay something for it. And but what do you the make of, of all day, these rich people, all of the celebrities and their apes, and the clear push to bolster this thing? I mean, obviously, you can just argue, okay, it's a Ponzi scheme, and they're going to get out before us, you know. But, you know, what do you think about a world where there is an investment, you know, either because all these rich people have just got their money and they want to keep it afloat, whether it's because it is the United States saying, hey, we're going to need some alternatives when China becomes the boss. You know, could it be that there are large, powerful institutional actors that become so invested in crypto that it does start to have a kind of stability that's akin to what a real currency has? And also there are these cryptos that are like tether, that are tethered to the dollar, right? So they ostensibly have more um, stability. There's also central bank digital currencies that central banks are issuing. But, you know, the, the fundamental problem remains those things only have value as long as you can trade them for real things. And, uh, you know, at a certain point, um, you know, if people stop investing in, you know, the Bitcoin is not tethered to a central bank currency, uh, you know, nobody's going to be willing to take that as payment anymore. Uh, they're not going to be able to they're not going to be willing to trade it for, for real things. And, you know, I think with uh, a lot of the rich people, they just got too much money on their hands and they're looking for something to do with it. Art has become a thing, too. And, you know, you were talking about NFTs early in the history of the podcast. Uh, You know, um, I I think you had uh, you were talking about it with uh, with Chelsea Manning. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like I remember that whole discussion, like ultimately these, these are just like things that rich people that have too much money on their hands are, are doing because there's they've got so much money there's there's just nothing better to do right, but, but Jonathan I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you but steel mailing it steel mailing it the, the argument is that if enough people you're you're saying that people have to be willing to trade it for something and decide it has value and I, I'm not disputing the idea that's a bubble 
but trying to unpack this idea that if everything's a bubble, all currency is ultimately a bubble that depends on legitimacy of a, of a government or enough individuals willing to decide that it has currency and that they're willing to exchange it for something else to decide that it has value, then isn't there a world conceivably as unlikely as it might be that enough people do invest in crypto or enough countries decide it's a viable alternative to being able to be – you know, to being sanctioned by whatever the new hegemonic power is, that it could, it is not a feature of being associated with a government that gives it power. It's a feature of it being supported by large numbers of individuals or a large powerful individuals or people with a lot of financial backing. I mean, I don't see that happening in a decentralized way. Uh, you know, I, there is conceivably a way, you know, that, uh, you know, say a, a group of, of countries could theoretically decide, you know, we're going to use this system. But the problem with that is, um, you know, they would be sacrificing a, a degree of control over their, their monetary sovereignty, which is, uh, you know, a critical tool that states use to manage their domestic economies. So I don't see them surrendering that power to, you know, to, uh, you know, the, uh, the magic of blockchain. Like, I, I don't see that as terribly realistic, um, you know, no but, matter how many billionaires invest but, in it. But Jonathan, but are you engaging with, with, the, with the ideas that have been put out before earlier in this podcast, which is that there is an incentive potentially for a country like the United States to do that if the alternative is being subject to Chinese hegemony or Russian hegemony or whatever it ends up being? See, I don't entirely agree that that's a thing either. Uh, and that was the one thing that I kind of disagree with, with Grace about was she said, oh, you know, that theoretically as they ascend and we descend and, you know, that, uh, that we're going to come to blows. I don't necessarily think that's the case. In fact, I wouldn't hate a multipolar uh, world where, you know, the, the renminbi was just as much a unit of account or a reserve currency as the dollar or even if the dollar stopped being a reserve yeah, but you, unit of but, account. But Jonathan, you wouldn't hate isn't the same thing as American oligarchs in our political leadership would hate. Your interest and their interests are not the same. Yeah, but I mean, that's true. But keep in mind, there are oligarchs in other countries all over the world whose currency is not the primary reserve currency. And they don't they don't really seem to be hurting any. You know what I mean? Like well, it doesn't. The, it doesn't sure, yeah. they are. The ones that are getting sanctioned are, and that's the whole point. That oh, those ones, yes. But, but you know, but, there's there's but, plenty but, of oligarchs in India. But Jonathan, that's the that's the whole argument. The whole argument is that Americans could conceivably not ever want to be in the situation that Russia is in, and currently they don't ever have to be because we are in charge. In a world where America is no longer in charge, there is an obvious advantage for even a country as large as America to want to have an alternative back channel system the same way that Russia is now taking advantage of cryptocurrency as a way to get around the sanctions. That that's the whole argument. And you can disagree with the argument, but that is the argument. That is an argument. Yeah, the question is would it work in in that function? And I'm I'm not confident that it would. Uh, but why I'm not? not well, I mean if even if you look at uh, you know, say uh, you know, China has been cracking down on on cryptocurrency distribution and mining. Uh, you know, state governments can crack down on on these kinds of uh, of of you know cryptocurrency operations. They can clamp down on people's ability to purchase and, and trade in it. And yeah, Ukraine Ukraine has been trying to 
fulfillment it, and Russia does not seem to have been cracking down on it quite to the contrary. So what's, what is the argument? I'm not disagreeing with you, but I want to hear the argument. What is the argument for why you don't think that that is a likely outcome? I want to know. Um, well, just, uh, you know, to be honest, it just, there's too many vulnerabilities in the chain and the, the value of the thing is too volatile and flimsy. Uh, so I do think it does serve a function of, uh, you know, uh, as a channel, you know, like I said, as an envelope to move capital around, you know, so if you want to move, uh, what little you've got in your savings account out of Ukraine, in the short term, yeah, you could do that just like you could with any kind of speculative commodity. Uh, but, you know, as a long term, uh, you know, uh, way of, you know, as say an investment like Sam was using it or as a store of value in general, uh, it's, it's just it's too volatile. It's too unstable and it's too it's too vulnerable. Right. So, but now we're back to the idea that there are circumstances where, because your own currency is so vulnerable, it is a crapshoot with what's more stable crypto or what your own, what your country is up to. And if you're, what you're saying is you just don't see a world in any near future where America, where the American dollar is at all comparable to the volatility of crypto, then I think that's com- completely fair. But that is, I think that is the argument that's being made that. Well, one could imagine that changing and whether or not current global circumstances are a prelude to what might be coming down the pike for the United States. Yeah, I would also say just, uh, you know, there's there's also a, a difference between the perception amongst the people of volatility and, and actual volatility. And, you know, there's more than one component to the value of a currency. And, um, you know, one of it is... Uh, like I said, the underlying integrity of the government puts a floor on on how low it can go. And, you know, there are other issues that can affect the value of any currency, like whether it's it's pegged to, say, another currency or gold or some other commodity. Um, but uh, but by and large, if it's a sovereign currency, uh, the thing will continue to have value as long as there are things you can buy with it. And as long as, you know, say a government demands you pay taxes in it, you know, that's a a default floor on the value. As long as you need to pay taxes in that currency, the currency at least has that much value. Uh, And that's the the fundamental, one of the fundamental assumptions of of modern monetary theory. Um, Crypto does not meet that. Nobody has to pay taxes in crypto. There's no floor on how low it can go. Like it can go all the way to zero. All right. Well, I appreciate you moving that with me a little bit. Let's get some other voices in here and, and see if people uh, – we can get another crypto person in here who's more uh, able to steel man this than, than me to p- give some pushback. I appreciate you, Jonathan. Certainly. Good talking to you. Same here. All right, Reed. What do you think about it all? Oh, Reed's gone. Okay, Michael, you're up. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Hi, Brianna. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, first, I just want to go back to that earlier caller who was talking about Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog is an awful game. It's a terribly designed game because um... it make it is because it is the game is painful to play at normal speed, and the developers make it deliberately painful to play 
at a normal speed. Like they do everything they can to incentivize you in Sonic the Hedgehog to go as blazing fast as you can, but then you can't control Sonic. You know, it's just it's it's just it's not a well designed game. That's just Michael, it kind of sounds to me that you're just like not very good at Sonic the Hedgehog, and that's okay. You know. <laughs> Like everyone, everyone didn't put as many hours in as I did back in like 1996. And like, I get that. I get that. But there's no reason to take that out on Sonic and the rest of the Hedgehog family. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't, I, I hope I didn't like spread any kind of like prejudice here or anything like that. I'm sorry. Canceled. Canceled for yeah. not respecting Sega hegemony. Well, speaking of, <laughs> of being canceled, I think that's the perfect segue for me to sort of uh, offer uh, a steel man defense of cryptocurrency. Okay. And so, I mean, and, and as, you know, I mean, cancellation, as we call it, I mean, this phenomenon of cancel culture, I mean, really, it's, it's political oppression is what it is. And it's the result of sort of, we are witnessing, I think, uh, society shift western society shift into what might be called stakeholder capitalism where it's basically just a fancy way of saying america is an oligarchy okay and that's why everything seems you know everything political seems so tightly integrated you know like why it is that like every moving part of society seems to be like on the same page uh with the whole russia ukraine thing right and just like prior to that every every facet of society from like the nfl to you know low to down to your local city hall politicians were were in lockstep on on covid and i think that's in large part the result of this kind of phase of stakeholder capitalism you know oligarchic capitalism and so, you know, the case for crypto, which I personally don't buy or trade in, but the, the case for it is that, you know, as, as, as when we move deeper into state, stakeholder capitalism, the state is going to basically sanction its own people in much the same way that it is sanctioning foreign governments. And I think you saw this in Canada with the truckers protests where um, it was announced that, and I don't know if they're still moving ahead with these plans, but it was announced that anyone anywhere in Canada could have their bank accounts frozen or seized, you know, without probable cause, without, um, you know, due process, just at the arbitrary and capricious whims of the system. Okay. And so... I mean, I think you're, and I think you're going to see the system kind of cracking down harder and harder like this on its own people. Um, and you know, for I mean, maybe you don't experience this much as someone being on the left, but for quite some time now, for people on the sort of uh, dissident right wing, crypto has really been like. Um, a godsend because if you have the wrong political opinions in this country, you know, I mean, you might be lucky and you might just be like a Russian opera star. There were a couple of them recently uh, who were canceled. They were fired from their jobs for refusing to denounce 
their country of birth. I don't know. Did you read about that? No, I didn't. Yeah, two of them in New York City, two prominent opera singers. First was a male one, then there was a female one just the other day. Mm. So if you're lucky, you know, and you're on the left, you can look forward to just losing your job. Um, you know, uh, but I mean, if the system really wants to crack down on you like it did in, you know, the case of the Canadian truckers, it can just lock you out of the financial system, basically. So, you know, I think this is something that the left is going to need to sort of really start to look into and sort of adopt in much the same way that dissident right has, because, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, don't you think it's kind of scary being like an anti-war, quote-unquote, like, Putinist voice out there? Yeah, of course, but I don't think that anyone on the left, I mean, I don't, First of all, I, I don't think that the right has been victimized by this more than, than the left. Not that there needs to be any comparison, but I, I don't I don't quite understand the posture that this is like brand new news to the left. I mean, we've been victims of it and complaining about it for a long time, you know, and this this Russia stuff is just the latest even in the realm of Russia stuff. I mean, it's not an accident that Katie and Matt and or now Katie and Aaron have a podcast called useful idiots because there's been all this red scaring and attacks on the left for a long time. And we opened this podcast talking about Ryan Grimm and rising, getting pulled from the internet, you know, and I wouldn't call, you know, people can say what they want about, you know, Robbie's a libertarian and you know, whatever, but it's, I would hardly consider that a, a conservative show, you know, a right show. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I, I don't think the left – it's like news to the left. The left needs to just now get involved. It's not the left that's not getting it. The left is just so marginalized that it doesn't feel like it has much to do or say about it. It's liberals who don't get it. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, you, you guys might be sort of pushed off of, you know, more mainstream social media, but you're not being debanked. And, you know, debanking is something that the government has been doing you know, uh, or the system or the... The, the left isn't folk. doing anything. What would the left be get, getting debanked for? The left literally doesn't do anything. We're not I mean, having that's, trouble. That's the problem. I used to be a big left winger. I used to listen to democracy no, now every day. And it's like the, the left doesn't want to do anything that will... I mean, I'm sorry, but unless you're a left winger and you're getting put on no-fly lists or you're being debanked or otherwise, like you're really not threatening the system so no, I mean, okay, well, a couple of things. I, I agree, although when I say what the left doesn't do anything, I mean, the left isn't storming the Capitol. The left is, for whatever, for whatever you think about it, the left is not storming the Capitol. The left is not, you know, um, putting, uh, what do you call it, targets on Congress people's heads and like, Kathy, uh, sorry, what's her name from Arizona? You know, like that, that's, that's not our, ba- that is not something that the left has been doing. You know, so to the extent that there are harsh penalties coming down on the right, it's because there have been, I'm sorry, like some extremists on the right who have done some things that have gotten them debanked. I'm not saying that that's a strategy that is necessarily viable or that the left should be supporting because, again, it can be weaponized in all kinds of directions. But part of the issue is there have been things that have been done by the right that have risen to criminal censor. And that has provoked a certain level of attention to the right that has not existed on the left. Now, I wish the left would do acts of civil disobedience that don't involve, you know, killing people (laughs) Um, that would perhaps incur the same kind of response. But, like, 
I agree with you. The left doesn't do anything threatening, and that's why the left isn't being paid attention to more as much as the right. Not because like the left is getting special treatment or anything like that. It just it literally doesn't do anything. It marches around in circles and says, you know, we should totally uh, boycott this maybe someday. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess I guess that would just be my message to you, to the to the left. If, if the left really wants to really become a threat to the system, which you will know when the system sort of comes down on you and debanks you and you know deplatforms you and depersons you. You know, then then you will know that you're actually having an effect. And I'm just saying that, you know, th- they're coming for you guys, too. Like, they will tolerate, you know, uh, anti-war rhetoric, the kind that, you know, someone like Katie Halper or Aaron Maté puts out there. But, I mean, the, the level of acceptable, like, discourse is just getting, you know, smaller and smaller and smaller. The noose just keeps getting tighter and tighter. And I think the tighter this noose gets the more demand there will be, like the more natural demand it will create for cryptocurrencies to sort of, you know, like evade this this new kind of, this brave new world we're living in of stakeholder capitalism where, you know, every facet of society is ultimately like an arm of the government. Anyway, that's, that's yeah. you know, pretty much the long and short of what I wanted to say. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, of course. Look, that's part of why I, you know, I, ha- I have interest in Colin as an app. You know, I, people from other um, YouTube alternatives have reached out to me about, you know, coming over. You know that a lot of folks on the left have shows on Rockfin because they feel like the algorithm has very much targeted independent left media. Um, Jordan Sheridan was just on the show talking about this. Obviously, Glenn Greenwald has a show over on Rumble, as do several other people on the left. So I, you know, it's already, I mean, it's happening. And I, I, I'm just saying that I, I would agree that it's a bit, it's skewed against the right currently. Yeah. But that so, has a direct Brianna, relationship to the lack of power. As people on the right have learned, and I think people on the left will learn, there are only so many places you can run, you know, before the system will basically corner you and prevent you from getting a, an audience. Anyway, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, and I should probably let other people go. So I'm just going to be proactively polite and hit the hang-up button. It's always, it's always better to leave the party before the party leaves you. So I'll just leave the party now. Thank you, Michael. YOLO, unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Hi, Brianna. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so um, thanks for taking my call. Um, I just wanted to first start off. Um, one thing that was mentioned in the episode <laughs> that kind of annoyed me multiple times, a common misconception of crypto um, is that it's untraceable. Um, and I, I used to think that, but uh, I have found that Almost all of them are easily traceable, especially Bitcoin. Um, and so I just wanted to throw that out there because um, like January 6th, you know, riders, they were buying weapons, you know, body armor, Bitcoin, thinking they were safe. But then, you know, government easily is able to trace them if they buy Bitcoin or any crypto using credit card, bank account, anything but cash, basically, which almost no one does. So. Um, but, um, other than that, I wanted to pose kind of an idea that I've been, um, 
working on um, with blockchain technology um, that you know cryptocurrencies run on uh, for an automated mutual aid system. And I and I bring this up mainly because one of the the first caller he talked about how you know crypto can be used for mutual aid. Um, and I wanted to kind of make it very relevant to say how this could be used to help pay off people's um, student debt, for instance. How's that? Piqued uh, my interest. Sure. <laughs> I thought it might. <laughs> um, so as you mentioned, and your guest mentioned, um, that there are cryptocurrencies that are pegged to, you know, like the U.S. dollar. Um, so they aren't take out the volatility problem. Um, there's other ones also that are pegged to gold that actually have gold backed by them um, or, or U.S. dollars backed by them. Um, but so my um, kind of uh, draft kind of outline I've been working on is in the crypto community. Are you familiar with the blockchain called uh, Ethereum? I am familiar with that word. Okay. I don't have any um, associations with it or understand the relevance. So how about why do why are you bringing up Ethereum in particular? Um the reason why I am it's it's the second most popular most used cryptocurrency. Um but it's more than just the currency. It's a it's a global computer. It's just a whole bunch of computers around the world networked together that work together to basically create this virtual global computer that can run applications inside of it in a decentralized way. And I bring it up because it's created this whole new world called DeFi or decentralized finance. Um, and a lot of people enjoy putting their Bitcoin or what other cryptos um, into it because they're able to you to um, earn um, interest on their crypto um, like you would if you put your USD in a bank. But the, but the interest rates are actually very high. Um, for instance, there are some that can earn like a, a, a fixed nine, 19.7% um, you know, APR, which you know, no bank, not even the stock market, I mean, you know, can, can generate that. I mean, index funds, you know, traditional so How are they assets. promising that? How are they you know, validating that? So it's really interesting. So, so how it works, and, and this kind of gets to how I am dreaming up of this idea of how um, – so you can basically become your own bank. So what you can do with Ethereum, with other coins you have, is lend them out. You put them into what's called a smart contract, which is just um, code that automatically lends your coins, your money, and this could be a stable coin like UST or USDC or, or Tether, like you talked about. So there's no, there's not the volatility, but it lends out your coins, and then um, exchanges like Coinbase, Binance, they actually a lot of times they run out of liquidity, so they will actually pay fairly high, um, you know, rates for that lent um, liquidity, um, and then that lent liquidity then can be used you know, to help pay off people's student loans, for, for instance. Um, so I'm kind sorry. of my... I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Sure. Okay. For some reason, the value of liquidity is enough to be paying people 18%, 19% interest, whatever you said. For some reason. Right. Even Correct. though well, a normal bank... Wait a minute. Even though a normal bank, you give it your money, they lend it out, 
people make more money with that money and you get a much smaller interest rate from like those normal kind of transactions that we anticipate. For some reason, the value of just having liquidity has you like many, 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 many times the interest rate that you would get from a normal bank. And on top of that, you pivoted real fast from that concept, which I'm not entirely buying and buying the stability and legitimacy of to, and all that extra profit that is going to a company like Ethereum would for some reason be benevolently, benevolently bestowed upon student debtors. So help me, help me, help me, help me make it make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'll connect the dots. So uh, first of all, the reason why people are these exchanges or day traders who will, who also borrow this liquidity the reason why they're willing to pay a high interest or, you know, high, you know, quite a bit uh, for it is because they can make a lot more, you know, they can make one ten, you know, two 10 X gains off of buying that, why? you know, trading it. Why? Mm-hmm. What's, where's um, the value coming from? Well, at least for day traders, um, like they can take that liquidity, put it into a coin that, you know, they speculate will go up or they can bet on that it goes up, uh, leverage trading. Um, and then we can make massive gains in, in, in seconds. Um, so that's why. So it's a speculation uh, on top of a speculation. Correct. But then so- exchanges like Coinbase need the liquidity so, because when people buy like Tether on Coinbase and they want to transfer out to their own private wallet, if Coinbase runs out of actual Tether, then they need to go buy it, you know, as quickly as possible. And they usually have to pay high rates for that. And then that's where, you know, people like us that are lending out this tether, you know, can make a big profit. Okay. So first off, it just sounds very speculative to me and impermanent. But even if I were to grant you that this is how it works and that that's, that's a legitimate and sustainable system where everyone can continue to expect these enormous interest gains in the ether world, um, Ethereum world, sorry. Yeah. Why would that, why would those gains be used to pay off student debt any more so than Bank of America turning record profits mean that they were randomly going to pay off everybody's student debt? Um, so how the student debt part of it would work, it would be um, essentially bootstrapped by greed. So for the working class, it'd be bootstrapped by economic necessity, but it would attract very rich people because of greed because they're they're always looking for a stable place to put their their you know the liquidity and earn you know as high of an interest rate um but they don't want that volatility of bitcoin so you could use like tether let's say you know that's pegged to the u.s dollar and if they're earning 19.7 percent it draws them in but what you can do just like with a bank or, you know, like Wealthfront, these like robo investor, you know, apps, um, you can, you can tax it. So if they earn 19.7%, you know, you could have a fraction of a percent. I don't know, like one or even, you know, like 1%, let's say, um, go into a student debt relief fund, you know, pool of cash. Um, and you know, how very that, quickly. How would that happen? How would that happen? You're it would someone be, would pass legislation that says we're going to tax Ethereum games um, no, and put it no. into the student debt pool. 
no no legislation this would be written into the code into the smart contract that's run by ethereum so Why ethereum's would ethereum no agree to do that so it's it's there's no there's no single company behind ethereum um i mean there are developers but ethereum is just like think of it like your laptop you can just run an app on it ethereum's like your computer but on a global scale it's like a it's like a big global laptop that you can put any app in it and run it um and that app can't be taken down you know i can't stop someone else from running running my app you can't stop me from run, running my app um so i can create an app run it on ethereum and and, and people can put let's say um ten dollars if they locked ten dollars in let's say for 10 years we had millions of people do that, then we'd have a very size, you know, millions of dollars of liquidity that is being lent out. And then, you know, we're able to tax that, the profits that are made off of that. And, and that could be a general fund to pay off um, the debt of the people, let's say, who have opted in. And you could gate it saying like, okay, like, like Facebook, when you first signed up with Facebook, you had to have a .edu email address. You could create the, the program, the app to say you have to have a .edu email address to enter this, you know, this uh, app. Um, and if you are, you know, it, I, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure how it could – maybe it's first in, first out. You know, like whoever's first in, their debt gets paid off first. Um, so when you have a, a liquidity, you know, when you have this profit, this pool of profit that's worth millions of dollars, you can say, okay, well, the first person who locked their ten dollars in, their student debt will be paid off. Whether, and I'm not sure how where you put the cap. Maybe we put the cap at like half a million or something, or fifty thousand. Let's say Elizabeth Warren, you know, uh, <laughs> style. We'll say, you know, we'll pay off fifty thousand. And and if that's the case, we have millions in the profit pool. We can we can pay off, you know many people's debt student debt that way you know okay yellow here's here's my concern sure why if i have free money to invest and i can earn 19 percent interest on it am i not just investing my money in ethereum and getting it back and invest um, and using it to my off my loans. And if the answer is, well, I maybe only have ten dollars to invest. That's never gonna even with interest, it's not enough to pay off my loans. Right. If we're pooling our money, and we all have student loans, why are the economy? Why is the scale ever going to be such that once you even if you get a big pool, how is the scale ever going to be so much that when you start to divide it up among all of the people that have contributed to the pool, it's more than a drop in the bucket still per person. Well. Because let's say we have, you know, everyone puts in ten dollars. We, um, uh, in in the amount of profit we can make off of that. Um, well, it sounds a little pyramid scheming, is what I'm yeah. saying. So you're saying the first people in get their debt paid off, but everyone else is fucked. And my other issue is not that not necessarily. It, it my, would it would continue to grow as, you know, as more people, you know maybe lock $10 in just like you give to like Bernie's campaign. Like, you know, I contributed to, you know, 300, over 300 million went to his campaign. Imagine if, you know, 300 million was in this locked in, it was being lent out, you know, and uh, exchanges are paying 20% to, you know, um, 
you know, I, I'm not, I'm not sure what that is. I don't have a calculator with me, but that, that's a lot of, you know, that's millions of dollars. And I know, yes, it's not going to pay everyone's student loans off, but this, it's a, it's a, it's a system that's, you know, just, it's self-perpetuating. Um, like Harvard's endowment. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's so big that they don't need to do anything anymore. And yet they still make me pay my debts. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so I, I understand what you're saying, but my other concern is a political one, which is that we're now – I know that the Bitcoin people are very enthusiastic about using these products as a way around political congestion. But I have a really big concern with basically privatizing democracy in these ways instead of addressing their root problems because, again, you get these distribution issues. Who gets their loans paid off first? I, we're letting a computer drive everything. All of these, every time one of, you know, a Bitcoin advocate, cryptocurrency advocate says something like that, like I understand where you're coming from, but it causes me incredible dissonance, incredible dissonance. Like to me, it's like an obvious problem. Right. You know? Right. Yep. Yeah. And I know it's not a perfect system. I'm just thinking in lieu of canceling student debt, you know, since uh, I mean, I, I, I think, yes, I do so still support that, you know, efforts, you know, debt strike or whatever. But in lieu of that, like in the meantime, being able to provide some way that people can have some debt relief um, using, you know, people pooling their money. And it doesn't have to be a pyramid scheme. It could be like randomly select, you know, among the people, you know, I, I, I don't so know. Dystopian. Among the first. I know it, it is. It's like, yeah, it's like a reality TV show. It, it's yeah, kind of it, gross. This is, you know, Pitch Riley. This is, this is, um, whatever the name of that movie was, you know, the Boots and Riley movie that I'm just blocking for some reason. Um, uh, sorry, sorry to, to bother, bother you. you. Sorry to bother yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't, I, I think it can also be not just, you know, that it's a random lottery, but you could actually give some of those profits instead of just going to the profit pool, like a certain amount could just go towards your $10. So your, you know, your $10 would, would grow over time as well. You know, the $10, I, I don't know what the interest rate would be on that, but that would continue to grow. So it's still providing the benefit to the people, you know, that wouldn't, weren't selected. Their $10 is worth more over time. Um, or however much they want to put in. Um, and also this is contingent on the stability of this reality where we're earning 19% interest. Like the only difference between this and saying someone should, you know, um, invest in a traditional market or yeah. just put money in a bank or have invest in a, you know, Get, have a job with a pension fund or a 401k or any other kind of investment be- vehicle is that this has higher yield ostensibly. Correct. Correct. Perhaps for some period of time <laughs> in a market that is at this point largely unregulated and still largely volatile and very young. I'm not saying that to say like it can never happen and maybe it won't end up being fabulous, but right. it is a little. Do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah, no, no, I totally see that. And that's why, like, you can, I could write into the code to say, to minimize people's risk, say, you cannot contribute more than $10. So, okay, if the, you know, U.S. government outlaws this, tries to shut it down, you know, people, okay, they lost $10 or maybe a dollar, you know, something that would, would not impact most 
Americans at least, you know, or a lot of people in the world. Yeah. Well, okay. Yellow. I I appreciate that. You've got it out there. That's a much clearer articulation. I know at the end of a last, you know, one of the last episodes, there was a guy who was trying to explain some stuff about how it could be used for healthcare stuff. And I was a little skeptical. In fact, I'm about to release bonus content. Oh, was it you? Yes, it was me. Okay. So Yellow, let me tell you something. After we, we wrapped, um, Grace's episode, producer Ben and I had a conversation in which our conversation came up. And he produced, I said, that could be fun bonus content. And he cut it, but we haven't released it yet because I said to Ben, oh, I was a little flippant about this one guy from Colin. And I don't like that I sounded like I was being too dismissive of him. And so let me go back through it and we'll cut, we'll cut it and edit it so he doesn't feel like I'm like giving him a hard time. But since I have you okay. on the phone right now, I'm telling you right now, I'm not trying to give you a hard time. It was what I thought was a private conversation that we decided to make public. And so I was a little less gracious than I might otherwise have been. But it's not bad. It's just a little flippant. So I'm telling you that, so I'm not going to edit it, but I'm going to put it up as additional bonus sure. content for uh, patrons. <laughs> sure. Not, <laughs> so a, not a problem. <laughs> yeah, no no personal offense taken. I, I, w- I was using the word law, and you were completely right. Like, that has legal meanings. I'm just not used to talking to, a, you know, an, an attorney. No worries. I'm not used uh, so... to talking to attorneys either. The worst. <laughs> yeah. It's just in the crypto space, there's a saying that crypto is law because people treat it like that. Um, so that's kind of where I got that. All right. Well, I'm learning. We're all learning. I appreciate yep. you, Yolo. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, Johnny. What is on your mind? Johnny, want to unmute yourself in chat? Hey, Bree. Hey. Bree, you there? I'm there. We can hear you loud and clear. What's hey. on your mind? Oh, nice. The earbuds work. <laughs> hey, uh, long time fan of the podcast. Big fan of yours. I think you're one of the best thinkers uh, in the podcast space or out of the out of the Bernie campaign space that I, I, I've i seen. Um, you, you have great interviews. You ask great questions. So I uh, hope you don't bind the uh, the praise off the off the off the bat there. Um, oh, you know, it's the first praise. time first time know. I'm getting to talk. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I can throw some more your way. You know. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's not bore bore the rest of them. But I appreciate you, Johnny. What's what's on your mind? I get you. No, well, hey, it's a first time caller. I got to get my praise in there, right? You know? <laughs> no, I uh, I guess I'm listening to the previous callers. I mean, I had a, a few items I wanted to cover from the actual uh, the actual podcast episode, but I'm just sort of reminded. Um, You know, I graduated in 2001, and it was in the midst of the tech wreck, and I graduated with a lot of student debt, uh, and it was a lot of student debt that would raise eyebrows when I would tell people, and I wasn't shy about telling people. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way uh, someone like Yolo was talking, he I don't know what his personal situation is, but when you are staring at huge figures of debt, um, you start to try to creatively come up with ways around that or what you, you know, you try to think of what your options are and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel like YOLO and a lot of other people, I think he's sort of emblematic of what a lot of people are looking at, right? They're staring down huge figures uh, of student debt oftentimes, and they're trying to come up with ways to get out of it mm-hmm. besides like, the old fashioned way of, you know, a good job that pays you well. And that's not like a conservative thing. I mean, just like, you know, no, they got told the Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, I know. We, well, America used to make them and we kind of like stopped. We got out of that business, right? Yeah, correct. 
Um, but I mean, I would like to put out a few warning signs that I don't think I brought up. I mean, uh, do you remember in 2019, I don't know if you followed this and it didn't get a lot of press, but like Steve Wozniak, the dude from Apple, one of the top executives at Apple, mm-hmm. he got ripped off of his Bitcoin. How? Like just lost it, like in a credit card scheme. Like someone was like, oh yeah, here's my credit card. I'm buying your Bitcoin. And he got like ripped off. Huh. And I just thought that was a real like you know, cautionary tale when I saw that. I think it was, I, I looked up the, uh, while I was waiting to get in here, I looked up the, uh, yeah, 2019, that one kind of zipped by. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, the crypto hype was was well and truly on its on its way, even in 2019, right? And obviously it's only grown since then. But I mean, if someone like Steve Wozniak can't protect his Bitcoin, what are the rest of us supposed to do? Mm. Like, there's no help desk, you know what I mean? There's no customer service rep who can get you from your, you know, you always see those, there's been a few of those stories of, like, people who forget their, you know, password, and they literally have, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars locked up. I mean, that's a real thing. People forget their passwords. Like, Mm -hmm. it's a complicated world. We have to remember a lot of passwords for Mm -hmm. work and personal matters. And, like, you're entering into a space where there's just no one out there to help you. Like, you're really going out in the wilderness. And I understand that's, you know, the selling point of, of cryptocurrencies, but it's also a back, you know what I mean? It's also a risk. Um, you know, when when you're not under anybody's control, you're also not going to get any help. Well, is that a uh, feature? A, is that a necessary feature of the thing? I mean, isn't there like... As far a, as I can tell. Yeah, as far as I can tell, it, it's part of the pitch, right, is... You can't get controlled by the government, but like you also can't get any institutions to help you out either. Well, I mean, this is like the libertarian dreams, dreamscape, right? Where they feel like there it is that it is possible to have in private enforcement and private controls. Um, and, and I'm telling you, the brochure doesn't actually reflect what the what the place looks like necessarily. <laughs> I just thought that was like I said, it happened two years ago in twenty or now almost three years ago, right? In twenty nineteen. Steve Wozniak got his pocket picked. I just thought that was like, okay, if this guy can get ripped off, what are us, you know, poor ordinary slobs doing? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting that's an interesting point. I mean, I, I do feel like aren't there some that were more regulated and therefore more like yeah, so viable? Since, in the last – so there is there is something to that, right? In the last several years, we've seen like big financial institutions, big Wall Street institutions get involved, right? So they do provide – they're kind of bringing this under control to some degree, right? They see money in this, right? They're going to do probably something along the lines of what you know prime brokers like to do, which is shave – a few pennies off of every transaction, right? You, you know, the, you ever hear the old phrase that like the the way to make money in the gold rush isn't by digging for gold; it's selling picks and shovels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's gonna be what institutions are gonna want to do. You know what I mean? They're gonna want to provide what feels like a safe environment. They're never gonna take any liability, but like they're gonna pro- want to provide you what feels like a safe environment to engage in the speculative thing and shave pennies off of every transaction. Yeah. Um, so there is a more controlled institutional framework now than there used to be. Um, and I do see, uh, I mean, I, I consider myself somewhat of a crypto skeptic, uh, but um, I do think it's going to fit in. I think, uh, what was it, guy, two or three callers ago, 
Um, she said it's probably going to fit into the commodities market. You know what I mean? As like a kind of a novelty thing. And, and I could see, I could see it going that way. I just don't think it's like, uh, you know, part of what I think we, you know, I, I mentioned the kind of disillusionment that you get when you get out of school and you've got mountains of debt to deal with. And mm-hmm. it's very frustrating and depressing. And you, you find yourself looking for answers. Um, but also, the, I think there's an ideological disillusionment, right? We tried politics. It failed. Yeah. Right. And I mean, the Bernie campaign, we tried it. it we elected the right. And after Bernie failed, we were like, OK, we'll we'll exec, we'll elect the squad. And, you know, and we put a lot of like hopes and dreams into into a hand electing a handful of congressional reps. And, yeah. you know, so probably haven't really delivered. I think you'd, you'd agree with that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are disillusioned with politics and they're just looking for other options. And that reminds me of the first caller you had who, you know, put, uh, you know, all the chips in one basket on 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 Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, lucky for him, it sounded like his timing worked out quite well. Right. Um, and it sounds like he's, you know, being good a good. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like he sounds like he's being a good rich person and, you know, being philanthropic with it. Right. And, you know, more power to him. He sounds like, a, you know, he's a better person than I am. Right. But um I, I do worry about somebody putting like everything they've got, but I also, you know, you ever hear the the saying like Goldman Sachs doesn't care if you raise backyard chickens. At the same time, I don't think the U.S. government and the U.S. imperial structure cares if you put all your money on Bitcoin. Yeah, like, I think the, that's right. The empire like, adapts to that. And I really, I really do empathize with the instincts that I think are making so many people want to believe in crypto. And I want to be respectful of mm-hmm. that. Cause I know, I know it has to be hard because the skeptics are real sarcastic and biting and flippant. Yes. And I feel myself kind of wanting to slip into that category, but on a human level, I very much empathize with the portrait that you paint of getting out of college with all of this debt, getting out of grad school with all of this debt and looking down the barrel of, you know, a 20 year, you know, payment repayment program and having the anxiety, like, Oh my God, what if I lose my job? You know, I was never a good lawyer. And for me, it wasn't that I couldn't keep up. It was that, Oh my Lord, they are truly going to fire me one of these days and not in the far off future. (laughs) And then who is going to pay me enough to keep up with this payment program? Like no one else is going to pay a 27 year old this much money. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I work in I work in yeah. structured finance, and it's a high pressure pressure cooker environment yeah. for those lawyers. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, some of the ones that have been around longer, they get more established, they have a, a degree of confidence in that. You know what I mean? But like, it's a high pressure environment, and there's a lot of turnover in it, and you can't blame the people that are in there five years, pay their loans, and get out, or ten years, or whatever. But yeah, five years. I don't know what kind um, of bonuses y'all are getting, but yeah, that's not how it well, was after two thousand and eight. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the bonuses well, you, are back, yeah, but they weren't like that is, when I was there. Well, you're quite right. Timing is everything, right? And structured finance was particularly rough for, I mean, there were a lot of law firms that merged. You know what I mean? A lot of right. big top names in the industry. I mean, right. I, litigation I, my, was dead. No one could afford itself. it. Yeah. 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 yeah so, no, in, in my building itself, there was a, like a whole law firm that gobbled up like the top third of the building. I mean, this is one of the big buildings in downtown Boston. And like it, that law firm just got gobbled up. Yeah, I mean, my I, my first firm was Strick Strick and Levan, and we were in the AIG building. And when I came to the firm, oh, <laughs> when I came to the firm, it was half empty, like because AIG had AIG had disappeared between the time I was summering, or maybe even right before I summered. And they ended up closing down the cafeteria by the time I joined after law school because <laughs> there wasn't enough people to like make it justified in the building to you know justify the service. 
because it was basically was just our loft lab. Cafeteria people, <laughs> right? Like so, it was different. But that's that's the problem with all of these speculative bargains, and it's like. I don't know. I, I I also hear people saying like that's your that's the bargain you made and what about my mortgage? You should pay that off too. And like totally like they should have bailed out homeowners. They should bail out people all the time. They should bail out people with medical debt. They can bail out all these people. I talk about student debt because that's the one that Biden can do because it's federally held debt. But like I what I was going to say earlier though was that I just I really empathize with that feeling of overwhelm and panic that makes you want to believe in all kinds of things. And maybe we should explore the best ways to exploit these instruments while they exist. But when we're talking about getting big pools of money together to like help student debtors, my mind is not, I want to put it in a high interest bearing account and like pay it (laughs) off. My mind is like, well, how can we use this to mount the legal challenge or plan the demonstration or do whatever we need to do to actually get the thing um, canceled, you know, to actually get the thing canceled. How many trucks yeah, do I, I have to buy is... so that I can do my own trucker thing and shut down the Capitol so that maybe Biden will listen to us this time? You know, what kind where of strike fund do I put trucks? together? Right. Where, where, the left needs trucks. The and I will pay for those trucks. trucks. That is my takeaway. <laughs> well, thank we you, Johnny. Are why are we buying? Why are we? Why are we buying? You know, here we are playing around with crypto when we should be all in on trucks. Eighteen oh, wheels, baby. Go long tires. I got the. Spare, we need spare tires. We need gas cans. We got to go all in, guys. I'm like, I'm like, oh, we have kidding. Like, I, I'm with you, Bree. I'm with this you. This is how we need to be thinking, I, guys. Tent cities. I trucks. do. I tell you what, Bree. To bring it back to reality a little bit, though, I I do think people are casting about in different directions, and the sad truth is, we have to get back to politics. Like we have to get back into, and and of course, the question is how, right? And I don't have that answer because that's a hard answer. But like, that's where the power is, right? Like, crypto isn't going to take down the U.S. empire. It's just not happening. You know what I mean? And I understand people are like. Ponzi schemes to cook up 19% interest, like that just sounds like late stage tech bubble, or actually, no, not tech bubble. That sounds like, you know, repo rehypothecation crisis where mm. everybody owes everybody, everybody's got a contract with everybody else. I mean, I don't know that, uh, you know, like I said, I want to be respectful to YOLO because he's, he's trying to come up with creative ideas and like, it took a kind of gloopy creative person to even come up with Bitcoin. So like, Shout out to all the crazy creative people out there. You know what I mean? They do come up with good ideas. Yeah. Um, but I just don't like Ponzi sounding ideas. I just don't think it's a fruitful route to take uh, all of the frustration and all of the energy that is searching around for a direction. And I just wish we had more leadership. Like without mm-hmm. Bernie, I mean, Bernie's too old. And like, I think we've re- reached the limits of what Bernie's capable of. Like, I just think we need leadership that someone can believe in. And right now we just don't have it. Um, yeah. And, you know, like there is no left, you know what I mean? No one knows what to do because like there's no one with any good ideas that we can all like, well, there are good ideas. I shouldn't say that. There are good ideas, but like there's no one with the gravitas to like pick one and say, we're all doing this and get everyone to jump on board. That's, this is a subject for a different call in slash episode and I yeah, haven't yeah. to do it this week, but I, I was talking to some folks recently who are all very much experts on the field and in, in, on mm. Ukraine and stuff. And mm-hmm. I was listening to this conversation and the question came up, like, what would you do if you were Biden? 
because everyone had all these like criticisms of all these aspects of things that are happening and blah, 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 blah. But then when the question came up, like, what would you do if you were in Biden's shoes? It was remarkable to me how nobody in the room really wanted to say anything affirmative. Yeah. And I was I like, mean, I, honest, like yeah. I was like, I don't know it's, anything it's, about anything. I just learned about Ukraine last week. <laughs> and, no, you're, you're quite right. Yeah, and, you're quite and yet, right. I, mean, I like, have thoughts and feelings. Like I have some things I would say about what our response should be. And the conversation yeah. had pivoted very quickly from like, oh my gosh, we're joking about whether or not we're in the blast zone to, oh, I, we couldn't, we can't possibly give X, Y, and Z concession to Putin because it would cause Biden to, to lose face. And I'm like, wait a minute, we're weighing mm-hmm. losing face against a nuclear yeah. holocaust? Like, are we hearing ourselves? Yeah, seriously. And, and, and I so I think, I think no one's willing to say certain things sometimes because it sounds like you're like not sufficiently sympathetic to the Ukrainian people or, you know, you're somehow indifferent to the humanitarian crisis or that you're Putin's puppet. But if we are really yeah, seriously I mean, joking about nuclear holocaust, then somebody somewhere has to be willing to say the hard-sounding thing that doesn't escalate. Yeah, Sorry, I mean, even uh, I don't know how much you listen to Crystal and Sagar, but like mm-hmm. even Crystal's kind of sitting there being like, "Are sanctions really the great idea here? Like, are they really going to work? Like, we've done sanctions on a bunch of other countries. It's just mm-hmm. something, you know what I mean? Like Venezuela's been under sanctions, you know, like." Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Iraq was under sanctions forever. You know, Iran's still under sanctions. I mean, if you, you want to know why the monetary system is falling apart, like, we're, we're making too many damn enemies. You know what I mean? Like, you can't sanction everybody. Mm. Um, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, none of those, in, in, I, I can't think of a single instance in history where, like, sanctions did the trick that we wanted them to do. You yeah. know? I mean, if anything, you may well be empowering Putin because, like, the Russian, I mean, oligarchs like to diversify, right? Chinese oligarchs like to go buy, you know, little crash pads in New York and Vancouver or wherever else, San Fran or wherever else. Like, U.S. oligarchs like to go have hidey holes in New Zealand or wherever else. Like, those people are diversifying their personal risk. You know what I mean? They're making sure they've got somewhere, a bug-out shelter to go to in case the political situation turns against them in their domestic country. To the to the extent that like the U.S. is cutting off other options, they're probably empowering Putin, right? Because those oligarchs no longer have anywhere else to go if we're taking all their yachts. I mean, you know, I'm all for like you know repossessing people who have absolutely no claim to have created any of the damn wealth. Like no one in Russia can sit there and be like, no, meritocracy rules, and that's why I'm rich here in Russia. Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all of them got rich after 1990. All of yeah. them. Yeah. Like no, yeah. nobody in Russia was rich prior to 1990. Like there's no meritocracy there at all. So we have to like dispense with that whole, you know, idea, right? You know, in the U.S., people still try to push that idea, but like in Russia, no one believes anything. Anyone, any of those oligarchs deserve any of that money. Yeah. There's just no argument. There's no moral argument for it, right? There's no like you create a company and built jobs and like it's all, you know, my uh, like all the money comes from you know, oil and gas, you know, nickel mining and like a handful of commodity gold mining. And like, there's a handful of commodities. None of it is like, you know, I created a new product and made the world a better place. None yeah. of those people have any arguments, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, thank so. you, Johnny. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, um, no, it was a good, um, it was a good, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm taking up too much of your time. No, no, um, but good. I did want to say like, it is good to uh, talk about, finance um what is a car i mean crypto is making people think about like what is a currency what is it used for you know what i mean and i do think yeah, that's why i like it I, and this is the point and yeah. when we release this post wrap 
session with Ben, which you should all subscribe to here, you'll hear me basically say this, that like, I'm complaining that it's all fake and fairy dust. And Ben is like, I mean, yeah, but so is all this other, all these other financial interest instruments. And I'm like, I know I'm someone who went to work as a paralegal in the summer of 2007. And we represented, you know, parts of the Lehman case. <laughs> like, Ooh, I know, <laughs> like, but, so like, I, I know that it's fake and that's where I'm coming from. Cause my issue is that if everything is fake, why can't we ever like puppet stream the shit for good? It's always puppeteering <laughs> it for these cockamamie schemes. You know what I mean? Like, I let's, MMT. Pick, let's do MMT if it's all fake, a, you know? Yeah. I, w- I would only pick at you a little bit on that, Brie. And I won't say it's all fake. It's all backed by the government. Like the entire mortgage market the is, is fake. underwritten by the government. Yeah, it's, yeah, the no, it's government not. It's fake, Johnny. It's the all fake. The government isn't fake, though. Mint, mint the coin, Johnny. Mint the know, coin. Law. <laughs> mint the coin. No, you're right. And, and uh, honestly, MMT itself is a good thought exercise because it makes you think about, like, how hard can we press monetary leverage we're we're choosing choices that's that's all i'm saying johnny but thank you let me let me hear from masha and take care of yourself yeah let me get out of here sorry thanks for nice talking to you nice talking to you too all right masha what's on your mind hey it's so nice to actually get to talk to you this time um yeah both times i was in the queue listening to yolo talk uh it sounds like a technocracy on the blockchain with like maximal fragility, you know, it's like, mm. doesn't sound like something that, uh, that, that has like a lot of, uh, a lot going for it. And in terms of the fragility, like there was, um, a crypto exchange, I'm calling from Canada and there was a crypto exchange mm. up here called Quadriga where like, it was a complete, um, like fraud right like it was a it was a young um autistic man who like had a really good presentation uh and then uh, he basically made off with like probably at least 215 million dollars worth of uh, of crypto of people's he was supposedly holding crypto for people um, he elizabeth home to canada huh yeah 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 oh not just canada he had like international investors his name was gerald cotton and he was eventually found dead in india so oh my goodness Uh, yeah so that's that's the kind of and i i personally find crypto is like a religion you know like the adherents will kind of proselytize to you because they know that like as they gain more adherence you know the 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 shit coins are worth more right and so um also just like the the environmental devastation like my my super hot take and this might just be because like the indica starting to hit <laughs> is that <laughs> are you the person who just tweeted i'm smoking and listening to the debrief no 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 but i'm gonna have to check that person out <laughs> shout out to you i just retweeted shout out <laughs> nice that's the way to do it especially when i'm dealing with cryptos although i'm not sure it's helping my like attentiveness to the detail but like yeah yeah anyway hard agree with the previous caller on, on a lot of a lot of the stuff that he said but um just i so my hot take is that it's like i don't know like satanic and i'm not religious but like just just the that that's like, satanic, Masha. Totally, totally. I will. I stand by it. I stand by it because it completely devastates the environment, right? Like these giant server farms that are mining shitcoin are are performing these um, these calculate like they're performing complex mathematical equations in order to quote unquote mine 
um, shit coins. And uh, in doing so, they they uh, consume an enormous amount of, of energy, of power, right? And mm-hmm. these server farms give off a huge amount of heat. The ones that are that are um, housed like under under coastal waters in order to do like a cooling like exchange thing with with seawater uh, devastate the, the those uh, environments you know yeah. it's it's literally I see it like this like this pull like already globalized financialized markets are are trading like it's completely fake like completely fairy dust of course and they're trading um supposed commodities at a level that would take uh, like something like 13,000 planet earths in order to like fully backstop or cover off or whatever right mm-hmm. so it's completely in the realm of fantasy already so like i just see it as like this this like like hungry like open maw of like consumption <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. just pulling in everything that that this mostly the actual actually very fragile planet in term in terms of human attention intelligence and creativity but also like our actual resources just like pulling it through the void again yeah, i might I'm just glad- be high <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think I'm really glad you mentioned the environmental implications because I, mm-hmm. I, that didn't come up in the episode, I don't think, and it should. I mean, earlier in, you know, in, you know, one of the earlier episodes of Bad Faith, we made an, an NFT. We were talking about NFTs. Someone else will mm-hmm. this episode. And we didn't really realize at the time that it was very bad for the environment. And so then yeah. we decided to give the money that we sold the NFT and then like, gave the money to an environmental organization because, you know, we felt bad. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to bring that part of it up, uh, especially if we're leftists talking about the intersectionality Mm -hmm. of it all. And I'm also really interested in this cultural aspect of fidelity to this mind space because it does, you know, doesn't, it's, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not missing the fact that it does seem to be, a certain level of devotion and adherence. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not missing that there. It does seem to skew male and have mm-hmm. these kind of cultural qualities to the interest in the thing. Part of why I wanted to talk to Grace about this, to be honest, is because I really didn't want to have another like, well, actually, conversation <laughs> about <laughs> NFTs and you know, and hashtag Women's History Month, whatever. Like, I did, I did want to have a conversation that was perhaps more accessible to people who don't feel like they are they they, they need to know or it's for them because of the kind of cultural bubble that, rightly or wrongly, is around this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it is kind of fascinating to me how it has captured a certain subsegment of the population in a way that seems to be outside outsized compared to what in uh, what what these products can actually do today and not just in a negative way like it is it's fascinating to me that it's also inspiring all of this creativity and it, and it is the thing that people have kind of glommed onto as the way out of this capitalist crisis that, like, as I was saying before, I have respect and empathy for, but, like, why this? Like, I want to know more about the culture of the thing so I can understand better why people feel this de- devotion to it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I have a lot. I have a lot of thoughts about that. And one of my kind of hot takes about that is that it's part of the, like, transhumanist um, kind of um, – wave right like that there's that there's a whole generation raised mostly online where they've experienced their first sort of like 
entry into into like the public space digitally right and and they just really kind of have an alignment against like physical material reality right in in every regard including and especially uh how how we exchange what we find valuable uh how we negotiate etc etc right does that make any sense i mean maybe but these people are these people are leftist, right? So I'm not like willing to fully they? say oh, they have a disagreement. <laughs> I mean, like I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the callers at their word. I mean, when they're when, when the guy says, I, you know, I want to do this and use it to cancel student debt, he could have said a lot of other things, right? He could have said, I want to use it and build a Peter Thiel rocket ship to the moon or whatever the hell mm-hmm, a lot of these mm-hmm. guys are into. Mm-hmm. You know, there's obviously something humanistic about that principle. The first fella, uh, Sam, is talking about you know, making money and give, using it for mutual aid. So there's obviously some, there, there is a, a left politic as part of these people's interests. And I'm going to take them at their word on that. But it does seem, I don't know, there does also seem to be this kind of faith that's had yeah. an innovation that I personally, mm-hmm. I got to say, don't feel. Like yeah, I don't I have any confidence in our ability to innovate our way out of that. I, I see the world's problems as largely political and not not cultural and like oh you have a bad culture but like the way we've decided to structure our society culture cultural like yeah. capitalism yeah, is yeah. a culture a cultural choice so yeah, i i i just i mean we've gotten we we can cure most i mean like you know cancer is still you know there's some things out there but you know most of the human deaths that are premature are from dumb shit that have to do with a lack of access to health care and mm-hmm. diet and like mm-hmm. mosquito netting and mm-hmm. we don't need to reinvent the wheel to get people mosquito netting and hilarious shots. Exactly. And pools yep. of water and stuff. Yep. So innovation is like not my bag. But it's so fascinating to me that some people see more hope and aspiration in, in sending a Tesla into outer space yeah. than they do in like buying mosquito nets or distributing yeah. vaccines yeah. to the, the global yeah. south. Yeah. Well, I grew up in a socialist Yugoslavia. So to me, this is a very, this is a phenomenon that's distinctly like kind of Western slash global North in terms of the cultural aspect, which is that all things can be solved by introducing greater complexity, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that's, that's exactly, yeah, something that, that is, is not uh, common to uh, like leftist progressives. Uh, globally like the vast majority of us are you know like kind of like a dyed in the wool kind of uh, leftists are are materialists right like we are looking at real solutions that that have like immediate real impact on people's lived realities you know not Mm. not sort of selling some kind of like oh if like and then a string of things that are super super dependent on on for example continuing to have a highly technologically advanced society, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, again, for many of us, not a given, right? So mm-hmm. so one of the topics of your previous conversation was why green energy isn't having a bigger moment. Mm-hmm. And I think green energy can't handle the demands of a highly technological society. It mm-hmm. can't address the needs of crypto mining server farms, <laughs> never mind, you know, like million hectare wheat farms, which is why wheat futures right now are really going through the roof. You know, like if anybody's tracking real market trends, uh, I don't know if crypto's really as um, ascendant, you know, as as people in the West seem to want to believe. And then there's also the very real um, sort of like looming 
uh, I don't know, ghoul of a digital bank, of a central bank digital currency, right? Which would amount to kind of credit at the company store. So mm-hmm. that's a digital, cur- that's a kind of like um, fiat currency that, that could be turned off if you d- decide to not be compliant with certain state directives, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. super scary and that's a, that's a similar technology. So that's this kind of technocratic solutions to material problems with increasing complexity, that is a total Total, I think, uh, uh, like a black hole of like, yes, you can pour all of your intent, attention and intention and creativity into that. But the dividends that it pays are completely, uh, you know, transitory and, and emotional and, and not real. Just like cryptos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really I'm, I'm thinking about some of the, your points. One, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about how. There was a moment, much like the one we're in, <laughs> called War Wong II, mm-hmm. and we were having very different kinds of com- conversations about the compensatory things we were going to do, like Victory Gardens. And I saw, mm-hmm. I was watching mm-hmm. some video, some, I don't know, AJ or whatever, video on YouTube, on Twitter, about how see, these people at maybe in California are being discouraged from growing, vict- like, they're not calling them Victory Gardens, but you know, vegetable gardens in their lots because they were going against some local ordinance or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they had huge amounts. A couple of people had huge amounts of produce coming out of their yard that could feed, you know, dozens of families. And they were taking them all to farmer's markets and all this stuff on these tiny little like front yard, backyard plots. Yep. And I honestly didn't even realize you could get that much produce out of a space that small. <laughs> and it was being run by this guy who's like 65, just puttering around. And like, it's also keeping him healthy and happy and occupied. And it's like, this is such a wonderful net good. And never is something like that going to get the amount of attention or excitement that Bitcoin does. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then also if we're, if we are going to talk about like, you know, as you'd said, like what would be the fallout area or whatever, you know, like, well, if, if uh, there is a nuclear detonation in the stratosphere, goodbye to all of the fake shit coins on, on all of the servers, like permanently. Right. So that's another aspect of fragility. Like that whole fake world ceases to exist, you know, in, in material reality. Uh, you can't interact with it, but but if you have some lighters and you know things that like you know just just look at the history of of the Balkan Wars, right? We we have had a European war before. It was in my homeland, and the things that got traded uh, in Sarajevo, for example, right, for food and and cigarettes and whatever, like those those are maybe the things. And for me, that's like you know uh, maybe books and and things that that uh, you can have hard copies of. Like okay, so now I need I. Have a wound you know how do i how do i do yes this? i think about like, this you know? more than i'd like to admit I yeah love, right so those, those planet of the apes movies i will stand mm-hmm. by as some of the best action movies of the last decade mm-hmm. even that first one with james franco frankly that was the best one like he held it down <laughs> he was it was not distracting oh and, no <laughs> i'm sorry like they were it's a solid epic movie like the moment where where Caesar like talks for the first time and we realize that mm-hmm. he's gonna talk is one of the best cinematic moments that I can think of. My mother and I like looked at each other with our mouth. My mom also just likes any talking animal, including mm-hmm. she loves she loves the Ted movies. You know, oh, with Mark oh, Wahlberg. Oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> and my mother does not like vulgarity at all, mm-hmm. but she like Cute. can't even see it. She doesn't even see that the bear is like. <laughs> like having sex with a grocery store girl with a turnip. Like she doesn't even see that happening. She's just like, Oh, a talking bear. 
Um, the point is, <laughs> the point is that those movies were so good in part because as they go on, and you know, each movie is farther toward the Charlton Heston reality that we're met mm-hmm. with, you know, in the originals. Mm-hmm. So humanity is like breaking down, and the apes are ascending. Mm-hmm. Humans are tasked with doing things like finding a book and figuring out how to get the local like power back on and like go yeah. to the water. The, there's like a hydroelectric dam, I think out in the redwoods somewhere. And they have to go and like turn it on. <laughs> they just got to <laughs> figure it out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I wish there were more movies that dealt with that level of like post-apocalyptic reality. Cause so often it's like zombies, blah, blah, blah. Like the zombies are the least of your concerns. You just have to figure sure. it out. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And you have to have some level of, of uh, skill and some level of, um, like just understanding of your own capability and, and yeah. like, you know, that's, I mean, there's, there's a lot there, but certainly the, the online world like that it's, I, I, you know, I was wiped out in the early two thousands in the tech bubble mm-hmm. uh, because I borrowed on margin, all of this kind of stuff. And, and then ever since then, I've been really sort of uh, skeptical of these, these um, you know, when we're being herded towards a cliff, basically, right? Like there's mm-hmm. there's this aspect of sheep shearing of what remains of the middle classes, right? Of the striving classes, yeah. you know, that, that really we're trying to follow some sort of financial trends in, in the vain hope that, that we'll unshackle ourselves from perpetual debt. And that's uh, every single time, right? The, the bubble is burst for us so that that they can they can profit off of our misery. So, it it does feel like there's a, a like a misassessment from the powers that be about how much. I don't know how old you are, but this kind of millennially generation has gone through, and how mm-hmm. much they're willing to tolerate. And everyone's circulating the meme that's like, you know, oh millennials who've gone through Y Y two K nine eleven and three financial crises before they're forty, and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah, smoking yeah. a cigarette or whatever. You're like somebody looks despondent. <laughs> Totally. And it's like they, there's like the, this presumption that it'll never crack, and maybe they're right because we are good sheep that are all going to file in line and vote for Joe Biden. I mean, not me, you know me, but you know most people are. <laughs> and none of the politicians are willing to say like at bare minimum, don't do that. Much less buy a truck and park it on the White House lawn. <laughs> like, so I, I maybe maybe they're right that we will just continue to take it. But it does seem to me that they are putting – they don't fully assess the level of pressure that we're under. I read an article in the New York Times today about how housing prices in New York have gone up 33%. So they're 14% higher than they were before the COVID drop-off. And mm-hmm. people moved during COVID thinking, oh, I can finally afford a place in New York. And now their rent's going up $1,000. And you know, all, all of this kind of stuff. And it's like mm. I'm seeing the cracks and nobody's happy. And I know nobody's happy because I am so relatively – well off and my cohort and academic cohort is so relatively well off and they're pissed off. <laughs> and that's not yeah, to say yeah. like relatively like anybody should feel sorry for them. I'm just saying like when I see how pissed off like lawyers are, yeah. <laughs> it, it makes me, it makes me like think, Oh boy, these stats about how everyone's going to be willing to pay more at the pump to help Ukraine are bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. Of course they are. Of course they are, especially now that the U.S. is buying um, gas from um, Venezuela and Iran, right? right? Like, oh, like, let's, (laughs) after deliberately destabilizing both of those regimes, you know, and like doing 
uh, all of it, <laughs> you know, like it's, <laughs> it's all very, it's all very tail chasing and insane. And especially when, when politics starts to look at like p- potentially like social media trends and like, we, what, mm-hmm. how are, how are we being governed at this point? And yeah, as a geriatric millennial who spent like a shitload of money on an education that I'm not using, and yeah. now I'm I'm actually making a lot of money as as a working class person, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as a tradie. So mm-hmm. that's I think that that's like these patterns of of adherence and of of uh, identifying with a certain class. All of that needs to break down before we'll mount any serious challenge to capitalism. You know, but. yeah. I think you're right, Masha. This has been very enjoyable. Thank you for calling, and I'm Thank sorry you. you've been cut off before. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> so okay. I'm just trying uh, to keep this, it together. <laughs> no, Thanks. look, today I was going to actually jump around because I'm sensitive mm-hmm. to the fact that the same people were earlier in the queue, but it was a mix of people in the queue when I looked, so I decided to just Perfect. go through it straight. It's um, all good. Nice to talk anyway, to you. Thanks, Masha. All right. Uh, B-Day, unmute yourself and let me know what's on your mind. Hi, can you hear me? I can. Cool. Uh, it's actually Bide, but it's Bide, the, sorry about that. the one white part of my Nigerian name, so I, I get it. <laughs> so um, long as you don't throw an N on the end of that Bide. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Oh, it's terrible, though, because that's how I have to introduce myself to people. I have to be like, hey, it's like Joe Biden without the N. Have and they're to. like, oh, yeah, good old Have girl. to. Yeah, it's, I mean, like, I, I used to go, it's the Pokemon move from Red and Blue that you get from Brock. But like only only some people are getting that, so you know it's Bide. one or the other. Bide your time, maybe I don't know. Bide your um, time, yeah. But speaking of pissed off lawyers um, who are being drawn to the left, uh, that is uh, so. Uh, a little background on me is that I'm I'm an attorney right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully someday that won't be the case. Uh, yeah. But I have been doing a lot of research. I'm also like a crypto enthusiast from. Uh, pretty early on, uh, that kind of does internal blogs for our law firm about about crypto and uh, some of the risks and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I really have to say is, you know, thank God for the instincts of people like Masha. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank God for Johnny GL for your instincts and calling it a pyramid scheme. It's a hundred percent justified. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a pool to the message of a lot of these cryptocurrencies because of their decentralized nature. Because that they are not regulated by the government and because they are pseudo anonymous and because they're outside of banks, there is a message that can be sold to people very easily that it is an escape from capitalism because it's not decentralized in that state. Um, The problem is that, uh, you know, capitalism is not necessarily dependent on having a government or a bank that's a regulatory agency. It's It's dependent on having capital. Mm. And right now, already in the Bitcoin space, and we can go into some of the mechanics if you'd like, um, some of the questions that you were asking, Sam, I think I think I understand. Mm. Um, but right now, just looking at who owns the majority of Bitcoin, okay, one third of the current Bitcoin supply is owned by about 0.01% of Bitcoin holders. Mm. So it's just capitalism all the way down. It's just people who are buying into the system, whether they're doing it by buying these big rig mining machines and having the funds to have the computer power to actually mine new Bitcoins or mine new Ethereum if it's a proof of work model as opposed to something called a proof of stake. Um, Or whether it's the people who are actually just uh, going to an exchange like Coinbase or, you know, whatever else and actually just putting up some kind of fiat currency, U.S. dollars, rubles, whatever 
for Bitcoin or some kind of cryptocurrency, the people who already have money, the mm-hmm. people who already have the capital are the ones dominating those markets. And because it's unregulated, they're getting away with some shit they can never do even in the stock market. They, so there, there's open pump and dump schemes that happen from some of these Bitcoin holders where they get a certain amount of people in, mm-hmm. they uh, hype up the price as much as possible, and they sell uh, when the price is at its highest and leave everyone else out to dry. And one of the things that you can do because it's pseudo-anonymous is you can own multiple wallets. Uh, I know there was some confusion earlier about what a, a crypto wallet is. Basically, it's a place where you store the crypto. Um, it can be, it's usually a hard drive if you want to keep it cold. It can be on an exchange. It could be on a, whatever. The, the details don't matter. All you need to know is that there's a private key basically like a private code that you had to your wallet Mm -hmm. that only you have. So you can have multiple wallets with multiple private keys. And if you're in this, you know, if you, if you own a a whole lot of Bitcoin or a whole lot of crypto, what you can do is you can sell, you can pump up the price, you know, tell people to buy as much crypto or buy a certain crypto at a certain time and end up selling it so that people think the price is as high as what it is actually is, but you're selling it to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. In a different mm-hmm. wallet. So really you're just, you're giving people, regular investors, regular people who want to get in, who are being sold on the speculative value of these currencies. Um, you're giving them the impression that this uh, speculative currency has X amount of value for what you sold it at, but no sale even took place there. And if you really want to see where that goes down even more, it's in the NFT space, which is probably the most dystopic or dystopic uh, techno. Uh, I, I forget exactly what word Masha used, but she's 100 percent correct. Mm. And um, I'll stop talking and you can just ask me like, specific questions you might have. But there's a really good video that came out a couple um, maybe about a month ago now by a, a YouTuber named Dan Olson. Uh, okay. And he's got a YouTube channel called Folding Ideas. And he, he made a video called Line Goes Up, The Problem with NFT. Oh, yeah. Um, our friend Carol recommended that to me. And I started trying to watch it. And I was like, Carol, 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 my sweet. It's, my attention it's, span is not for this. <laughs> it's, it's very difficult. And he, I think one of the things that's hard about cryptos is that you do have to have some kind of basic understanding of the mechanics of how they work in the beginning in order to really understand what's going on with them. Yeah, and Um, Home Slice, like, he was sitting there in his little orange sweatshirt, and he was trying to tell me, but he breezed through all of this stuff in, like, seven minutes. Carol was right. Also, I was was watching on, like, 1.5 speed, because that's how I do, and that, that was incorrect. That was, that was an incorrect choice on my part, but even backtracking and trying to figure it out, I was like, I I need, I need you to define all of the words and the definitions that you're providing me for the other thing that you're trying to describe. So uh, my suggestion would be go to about halfway through it and skip all the mechanics because what you'll see is the application of like the actual scheme part and uh, the techno babble and all that happened for like the first hour of that video. And I know it's hard to get through, but if you do understand it, then you kind of understand why some of the people who advocate for the technology also really do advocate for it, right? Um, so you're saying that it does have real value. 
Yes, there's a utility to it. I mean, basically, if I'm going to describe a blockchain, basically, it's like a permanent ledger that is decentralized and spread out amongst you everybody. You love to say decentralized ledger like that means anything. So what it, me- what, it, what it means is this. What it means is this. Um, if, if I owe you money, you owe me money. Usually uh-huh. a bank a bank or some kind of uh, party is controlling what transactions show up on who owes who money. In uh, 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 on a blockchain, it happens simultaneously. Every transaction happens simultaneously for everybody. Everybody can see when a transfer happens. Everybody owns the ledger, and the ledger is written by the consensus of all the computers in the network. the The long story short of it is, it solves something called the double spending problem. Now, what's the double spending problem? It's kind of what it sounds like. We don't need to get too into it. If you'd like to, we, we kind of can, but it's really it's just spending the same money twice. Um, is that happening a lot? Is it like Bank of America? Is this like the Anna Delvey story where the transaction hasn't gone through and they are assuming it is, and so the exactly. bank goes ahead and issues something? Is that happening frequently? Yeah. Well, every time you have an overdraft fee, that's a double spending problem. That's the bank trying to recover its losses for spending money that you didn't have. But that's exactly the problem we're talking about. So overdraft fees, right? Mm-hmm. Um not knowing whether or not someone actually has the money in their account. You know, a check clears. And uh, I mean, we've all seen the scams or heard of the scams. I'm sure someone tells you, hey, here's a money order. Go take that and cash it out for me. And you go and you cash it out. And, uh, you know, a couple of days later, it was a bad money order. And now you're left with the loss. And now you also have the overdraft fee. That's a double spending problem. Bitcoin, it won't happen there um, because of the blockchain, right? And the blockchain is really... Its main features are, there's that aspect to it, right? Um, It solves a double spend problem, but it's also like a permanent ledger. So when you get into the Ethereum space and like smart contracts and the like, you're basically creating a system of digital permanency to the extent that, uh, you know, there's no nuclear war that blows everything up, which God, who knows at this point, but um, and, and the difference for things like Ethereum and for some of these other cryptocurrencies, uh, I think like, uh, Cardano is another one that uses sort of this, uh, the same sort of, uh, Ethereum smart contract, uh, technology or similar technology is that you can begin to store data sets and executable programs that are permanent on the blockchain, uh, what that means is, I mean, the long way to, the easy way to think about it is uh, a permanent digital record uh, that's easy so, to verify. So what's the value of that? Well, when you think about how many government, uh, you know, governments have to track individual, I mean, how many things do different departments in the government have to track for you, right? Uh, you have the Social Security Administration, you have the you know, the IRS, uh, you have the, you have all these different places where all of your information is going and they each have to collect all of that information independently or something. I mean, with, with the United States government, I'm sure they have some kind of more centralized system to that. But imagine just, you know, if you're in a hospital and instead of having to have your hospital records transferred over and them perhaps missing something, or someone trying to get rid of a medical record because 
they're, you know, suing for medical malpractice and they don't want you to have the same uh, uh, history of an illness that they've already had or, you know, some injury that they've already had. Um, you can basically, if you have a blockchain uh, and you have the ability to give someone access to your records on the blockchain, then you can have an instantaneous sort of transfer of your entire record. Okay, but this is this is what I think it was Yola was bringing up last week, and yeah. I articulated some skepticism or some concerns about that kind of information being on a. You're saying that everybody has this ledger; it's public. Correct. So are you don't are you not having like privacy concerns? So, well, first of all, yes, you are having privacy concerns, but probably not in the way you're thinking of them. So, imagine like imagine that I hold like a it's basically like giving someone a password to have like a read only into your Facebook account or something like that. Right. So it's your, your records are stored on the chain, but with something like a, like Ethereum, there can be a key to accessing them and you can still be the one controlling the key. Right. So it's like, um, or it's like, you know, it's like when you go onto Patreon or any of these sites and they say, do you want to log in with Google? Um, they're not taking all of your passwords or information from Google, but Google is kind of used as a, a universal, you know, your Gmail account is used as a universal key to access all of these services. And then Google gives them limited access to certain of your data, right? Or certain, you know, your your name, your identity, whatever, et cetera. It's, so if it's this like is, that. If, if this is so great, why aren't all the banks using blockchain already to prevent the double spending issue. So Brianna, here's a secret. It's, it's not so great. In my opinion, it's really not. It's, it is useful, but useful for a bank. Um, why, why aren't banks using it right now? Honestly, I think they will. They'd rather that's have the overdraft part. fees. Maybe <laughs> I, I really do think banks that that's one of my biggest concerns actually, is that, since there is some kind of utility to this, since there is sort of a permanency of the record, and since it is sort of an access point, um, and there is a lot of power that they can use too to cut you off from certain, like we, we don't have to get into the whole thing. Basically, since everything on your blockchain is permanent, I mean, imagine like something like a, like a drug charge, right? Being on your blockchain. Um, since it's permanent and it's decentralized and spread out amongst everybody, right? The, everyone might not be able to see the drug charge, but anyone that has access to it can. So if a bank has access to your blockchain, basically you can't get rid of that. There is no expunging. Okay, it. but okay, but you're telling me you were telling me before that my medical records wouldn't really be visible, visible unless you know they're just there for anyone who has the Google password. But now you're telling me my arrest record would be visible. Why wouldn't so, that be similarly? Oh, good. Behind is, the door. Okay, so you might be able to control the visibility of it to each individual person and each individual entity, but it still exists on there, right? It still exists on there. It's just behind like a permanent code wall. And it's, 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 this is when knowing the mechanics of it becomes more, more useful here. How, how do I put it? It's, I mean, the blockchain is kind of like the best way I've heard it described generally is like it's like encasing something in in increasingly uh, more and more layers of amber. 
right? Uh, you could still see it in there, but you get more, every time you have an extra layer of amber, it just adds on to the amber and, you know, you have these layers and layers. You could tell how old uh, the information in there is. Now, imagine like you were, like someone still needed your permission to look at the specifics of, you know, part of the piece that was encased in amber, right? But the fact, like, imagine you could do that with computer programs, right? Like you can encase computer programs in amber over time. Is this making sense? Stop me if, you, if do we need a break? Here, here, here's, my, here, here's my issue. Oh, what you're basically saying is I can see the fact of you having a criminal record, even if I can't see what it is, or I can see the fact of you having a medical record, even if I can't see what it is. And everyone has a medical record, so that's maybe not particularly revealing. But the fact of having a criminal record is suggestive in a way that is, um, um, you know, it it damages you. Right. Stigmatizing. Right. That's the word I'm looking for. Right. 100%. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't like it. I don't, I don't like it. Yes. I, so that is correct. Also, like, I'm why would it be on there? Correct. Like who decides what gets put on a blockchain to begin with? That's where it gets interesting. I mean, it depends. If you're a stakeholder in something like Bitcoin, then as soon as you buy your first Bitcoin, you're on the blockchain, your number or your public key. So this is like, you have a public facing identity and a private facing identity. Right. Your private facing identity, you share that with no one. That is what you use as basically your wallet. Like that's the thing that identifies you privately as you. It's like the the thing that gets you into your accounts and, and verifies your own identity. Mm-hmm. But your public facing identity begins as soon as you have your first transaction. And from then on, every transaction you do that's in that public facing identity. But, but those are transactions. That's not, you know, my medical records or my Correct. conviction record. Correct. Now you, you, it's the same concept, but with data, right? So the private facing identity is the one controlling what parts of the public facing identity are seen initially. But the problem is like, here, here's the real problem with, with having like your medical records or something on a blockchain is that, if you send it out publicly, if somehow it becomes public, it's there forever. You cannot retract that. But right? would it ever, why, like, why would that happen? Why would I be putting, how would someone's medical records, when, when someone like, I think it was Yellow, says, you know, it would be useful for us to be able to transmit medical records. You brought this up earlier, that you could transmit medical records and it could be more complete and instantaneous if they were all in the blockchain. Like, who would be putting that on there? Are you saying like hospitals would upload your medical records because it's like faster to get them around? That is the scary thing, Brianna, is that anyone who had access to them, who then uploaded them, would be able to upload them, right? Would be able to put them on there. So if I just am like a, a, a tyrant, like a t- I was going to say terrorist, but let me not even use those kinds of words before I get canceled yeah. like Ryan Grant. If I were just like... um really annoying and like a prankster. Like I'm the Joker and I am like, fine. Like I don't like you, 
I, I, I found some secret secret about you and decided to put your, your medical information, let's say. Can I do that? Can I, as a blockchain user, as a crypto user with a wallet, just randomly decide to say, hey, you know, Biden had his appendix, appendix out when he was 12. You, as the Joker, could reveal my identity as Bruce Wayne. And it could be out there forever. And there could be nothing that I can do about it. Generally speaking, there's some nuance there, but for the most part, that is just correct. Yes. Yeah, I you. This is not great because I will tell you this: I fully have Googled Bide, discovered that he is engaged to be married later this year. That's right. Baby, <laughs> and I am, I am, a, I am, I am a maniac, and you don't want people like me to have this kind of power. No, you know what's great, Brianna? They already have. They already have. Um, like this space is so new. And it's so not, uh, you know, unregulated. There are already people who are trying to set up like social media companies based on blockchain, which is just think of like, think of something like revenge porn, right? Mm-hmm. Can you think of like a, an, an ex putting something out there in the public there? And I know it's already hard enough with the internet, right? But mm-hmm. imagine that never being taken down or even that revenge. You can think well, of, Why um, can't you take it down? Because it's publicly held, because that's the thing, it's decentralized. So that is one of the advantages of centralization, is that if an entity actually is, and I'm I'm not a big, you know, I don't swing one way or the other when it comes to centralization, decentralization. But one of the advantages of centralization is if I own the ledger, I can erase a transaction. You know, I can do that. This gets, and this is why I think that video that Dan Olson did too, the line goes up, the problem with NFTs and I'm, I'm out here. I don't know. I'm pitching for him. I don't even know the guy, but. You and Carol both. I see you out there, Carol. <laughs> but the, the, one of the things that I think is fascinating is he brings up a, a case where there's a whole sort of, um, they call them, well, we don't need to get into DAOs, but basically, and if you have an NFT sort of transaction or something, or if you're selling NFT art that is uh, copyrighted, right? You you take or trademarked, right? You take someone else's uh, intellectual property uh, and put it on the blockchain and, and use it to generate some kind of, I don't know, some kind of uh, brand for yourself. Uh, the only way to get that out of there is to take the whole blockchain down, is to take down... Take down the whole ledger. Or I guess there is one other well, way. Well, couldn't everyone just decide? Like, if it's publicly Correct. owned. Correct. Yes. That was that was a caveat I was going to bring in. They could. But you have to have consensus consensus of all the networks. And every time that happens, it's a, it's a, it's a shit show. Every time. Part of my It's approach, happened before? It, oh, yes. Yeah. People it, have decided collectively to take something down. Not quite, but yes. There, there's, something, there's something called, like... Um, it mostly happens with something called hard forks, which are uh, okay. I know, I know. We'll get there. Trust me, we're we're, we're on our way. Um, so hard forks are basically when you know there's there's something wrong with the there's some new development that wants to be incorporated into the code which the blockchain is based on. So Ethereum wants to add a new capability that was not part of how it was originally coded, like paying right? off our student debts per our friend earlier. <laughs> well, that's a little different because that's an actual transac- transaction on the blockchain, right? It would be like Bitcoin right now doesn't have that ability to uh, create some the smart contract, which, God, this all sounds so stupid because so much of it is. But mm-hmm. 
Um, I wasn't gonna say it, but it, it is. It's so dumb. Like I, I, I don't want to get too far away from your your question, but the the it has happened before. We'll just say that it, it has happened before, and and for some of these cryptocurrencies, what's particularly frightening is it doesn't need to be consensus of all the computers on the network. It just needs to be consensus of the majority stakeholders, which, mm. gee, mm. I, I, when you own zero, I mean, point zero one percent of the holders own a third of all the Bitcoin. Well, then that's really going to work out well, I bet. You know, it's just it's. Well, is that that much different than trying to convince Google or any of these mega companies that, you know, your boyfriend's topless pick should come down? Like, isn't there a certain degree of like social pressure because these companies want to protect their integrity, so they'll just do it for for like revenge porn and and easy easy asks like that? Well, that's uh, first of all, it's way easier to get it get Google to take it down. I'll be honest, it's it's easier. Mm. You can at least identify the entity that has the server, right? Mm. If you're pseudo anonymous in a lot of these places and you never reveal. You never reveal, you know, it can never be tracked down, which most of the stuff actually can be. But first of all, you got to track down who did it, right? You got to track down. uh, Then you got to get consensus of the entire uh, network. And that is, that's like asking potentially four, five, six, ten, a hundred Googles to all do the same thing. And that becomes harder. Um, It becomes much, much harder. It's. And look, but they do want... it. You said that they do do it to like update the code or whatever. They have, they have. But this have been, you know, a couple of the examples were, God, uh, when they update the code, it's always a shit show. So um, when they have a hard fork, they don't always get agreement of all the networks, and then they end up with two or three different currencies, two or three different uh, currencies, all wanting to pretend to be the same one. This has happened with Bitcoin, I think, twice or three times. There are four or five different Bitcoins, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin whatever, and, and original Bitcoin. What They are the result of these uh, forks not having consensus and people saying, no, we're going to be the real Bitcoin now. And eventually what happens is, you know, it, uh, one of them just wins out from basically just like a, a market share. And a lot of other people's Bitcoin becomes worthless. Biden, are you a leftist? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. What's 100%. it like for you um, still working at this law firm? Because you're about four years younger than me. I'm really sorry. I had to do a yeah. little bit of a Google because I was curious. Yeah, you, you're putting my whole business out there, Bree. Come on. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say the things, but you it's gave not... me enough information for me to very quickly find you on the internet. <laughs> All my name. My name is Bide. There's like two of us. The other I one's know. Grandpa. You know, it's not I, like. Well, you know. So yeah, here we yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. It's. it's um, <laughs> No, it's, uh, I'll tell you this, it's, it's like a constant dissonance, you know, I, I'll be frank, the, the only reason I went the route that I went is because of student loans, mm-hmm. and I'm, that upsets me, and it, 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 it's never what I wanted to do. I see, I, I see you have a little public defendering in your background, but then, you know, I do, this yeah, firm. I do, and that was actually the best legal job I had, by far, um, I'll tell you this, I, I did pay off my student loans recently. Oh, congratulations. Um, it's, you know what? It's, it's bullshit. But how'd that, you manage that? Because you, you are four years younger than me. So we were in the law for the same amount of time. Yeah. 
So I guess you just worked at a better firm than me and got better bonuses. No, it wasn't actually that. I or started maybe you're off living with making... someone and splitting rent. That helps. Well, I, I did that, but I the one thing I did is that you know, like, um, since we're going into my background, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> so you know, like I I had a couple times growing up with my family uh, who I love dearly, and they they've always done their best. But we, I, I am no stranger to financial hardship. I'll mm-hmm. say that uh, I'm not as bad as a lot of people have got had it. God knows so many people in this country have been com- completely decimated financially and, and they had no chance coming up. I had a little bit, but not much. So I'm used to, you know, if I have to sleep, if I have to, you know, be gritty, I can be gritty. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you my, basically I was putting damn near 70% of all my paychecks every month towards student loans. Mm. So if you look at my monthly student loan payments, they are redonkulous. Yeah. I mean, Um, and it's still taking you this long. It still took you like six or seven years. It did. It did. And it was, um, you know, uh, was not fun. And it's like, that is a trap that you look, if you really love, if you're one of these, this is what I don't get about these politicians. If you say that you love America, if you say that you love its people, if you say that you, you know, you, you want to represent them, if, if you really care about any of that, you can't watch people go through that and not do anything about it. You can't. I mean, my God, you're, you're talking about the people who are supposed to get these educations and lead America into a different kind of future. Right. To prepare us for something and all and all of them are you know, the majority of people that I know who are still working at big law firms, um, my fiance included, it's, it's, it is a, it it is, it's, it's crushing. You can't say that you respect the American people and our humanity and force people to make these kinds of decisions and, and force them into a situation where, um, you know, God, I've worked for a firm that represented Donald Trump during the elections. Like, what is going on? You yeah, know? I wasn't going to blow up your spot with um, your issue areas because, you know, I know how it is, my friend. It was but I was I was just curious. I was just curious. And I'm, I'm glad to hear from you. And I really appreciate your patience in explaining all these things. I do feel like I've come a ways. I've learned some things. We're going to this is going to be a continuing conversation. And I hope next time we talk about cryptocurrency, you're back in the chat. Maybe I'll bring you up on stage with Carol to help, you know, answer the questions as they come along, because Lord knows I am not able to do so. Yeah, I don't think anyone really can. Uh, so um, but I'm happy, happy to be here. And I'm just going to say I cannot wait to hear what Day has to say. Always my favorite <laughs> call. Uh, come on, Day, bring it, baby. Let's go. Come through Day. Day's going to close this out today, I think. Um, okay, thank yeah, you. Bye. All right. Have a good one. All right. Peace. Okay. Hey, Day, what's going on? Jay, why can't I hear you? You're unmuted, but I can't hear you. Oh boy, it's doing the thing. Day, day, log off and come back, and I'll bring you back from the end, and I'll take Tucker. Okay, just just log off and come back in, and I'll be able to hear you next time. Uh, okay, Tucker, you'll be second to last. Day, day's day's malfunction just gave you a new lease on the queue. Unmute yourself, Tucker. You still with us? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Okay, all right. What's on your mind? Sorry about that. Uh, 
well, I just wanted to bring up, like, I do support cryptocurrency and the, mm-hmm. let me get in here. There's a plane and some cars, so that might be loud. <laughs> but, like, how, uh, y'all were talking about, uh, the crypto, or uh, blockchain and, uh, how you don't really like how people's medical record will be on it. And I, I view it a little bit differently because while it is true that everyone who has the ledger sees what's on it, you can make it where only hospitals and doctors and practices have that network where only they would see it. And the only people who could see it would be, would have to have a key. And then you can make it where only you have the key. Like let's say Medicare your Medicare card could be the key and the only way to log on and access that would be to have your Medicare card. So I don't think that that's too difficult because I think that that's where we're going in society. So like it does seem like it may have privacy issues, but I'm personally not concerned with that because I just think that's where we're going as a society. Do you understand where I'm saying or where I'm coming from? And like uh, how you also brought up like a criminal record, Mm -hmm. I could easily access anybody's criminal record, like just on Google. Like I looked up my parents, I looked up my friends, like it's really not hard to see somebody's criminal records just now using Google. So like, even with that, like, I don't think that that's that big of a privacy issue. And to me, the the issue with the criminal records was that you can get them expunged. In a way that you wouldn't be able to do on blockchain, ostensibly, right? Oh, yeah, your medical I can records see that. don't go away. It's your medical history. It is what it is. But your criminal history can can go away. Well, yeah, that's true. But like again, that's something that I personally am not. I don't have issue with because, again, that could be if if they do decide to do that. Which honestly, I don't think that they are because. I mean, maybe like the FBI or something, some federal, but I don't think like local, like county will get involved with the blockchain or anything like that, unless there's a federal push for that. But like with, uh, you could say like the federal one could be like a, uh, what's it called? The no fly list or something like that. That could be essentially in like gauge in the blockchain where, Hey, this person is, is, so they're immediately on it, but that's already federal. So it's already sent out through the like the TSA. I don't know. No, but, I mean, yeah, that's I, just something like what Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I think I do think there's something about the permanence the permanence of anything that gives people pause, even if I think that you're right, a lot of stuff is already out there for the world to see. You know, the reason I downloaded Twitter for the first time in two thousand and nine is because I was working for the Boston Children's Hospital's legal department, my one all summer. And they didn't know what social media was and they needed someone to figure out a social media policy. And I was like the young person around who they were asking. And so they said like, tell me about Twitter, like do some research and tell me about Facebook. And part of the issue was that they did not have an official Facebook page, but a patient, a child had created one that seemed official and everyone was treating like it was the official Boston children's hospital Facebook page. And people were putting all the kinds of medical information on the Facebook page and they wanted to, rested away from this girl, but didn't want her to go crazy and like kamikaze on the page. Do you know what I mean? They were trying to figure out how to get her to turn it over to the organization 
because there was no like blue checks. There was there was no like officialness back then. It, it was like the wild wild west of the internet. Anyway, that's all to say that like these concerns are not invented by blockchain. The idea that people are um, putting what should be confidential information out in the world in a way that it's difficult for institutions to control or protect. But I I I it does give me a bit of the willies. So maybe talking more about the upsides would help me to perhaps be willing to get over my willies. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, what, I understand that. What is the upside that. here? Uh, well, I really think that it all just depends on, well, sure, people like older than me get it and like support blockchain and all of that. But I think people who are my age or a little bit old, older and younger don't have much of an issue because we know we grew up with blockchain. We know what it is. Like uh, Bitcoin came out when I was 14 years old. So like, I'm pretty aware of what it is. So, How like, I'm old not. Are you? 27. It came out when I was 14. Okay. 2009. But I, I think that I don't know that this is a chronological issue. I think that this is a it's an opaque technology, and people don't know about it. Issue. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure when they came out with mortgage-backed securities, but I promise that I don't care how old I am. I don't, like, people don't understand what these things are. <laughs> I completely you know understand I mean? that. But it, I, I get that. But at the same time, Bitcoin and, like, cryptocurrencies started off, like, as an internet thing. So younger people have been on the internet pretty much all their lives. So they're more familiar with it, if that makes more sense. Like, I, I get mortgage-backed security, like, yeah, I'm 27 years old. I kind of understand that, but that's more of a finance thing, and it's not really that talked about online. Okay, Tucker, so now that we've all established that you're very, very young and vibrant <laughs> like the rest of us, how what is it that you see as the upside to this thing? It just depends on how we personally use it because, like, in my opinion, I would prefer a block style voting system i know people have problems with that because oh your vote's supposed to be private well it's, it's not private now and like you can make it where the only people that have it are the chain would be the individual voting machine which is owned by the state and everything has privacy issues if you think about it in some way like how it is now like private companies owning it and then you don't know how that's tabulated or what happens with that information it's it's all just what we choose to do with society and in my opinion i'd rather have it where hey if you vote this is your vote and you can go and check and make sure yes this is exactly how you voted rather than trusting a private company's system that nobody can check to tabulate the vote correctly, and then that dictates who is in office. That's just one thing that I want is like a blockchain-style voting system, but Tucker, that expands into other things. I'm going to bring you up to speak for a second because I specifically want to hear what Carol has to say about that question of a blockchain voting system. Because I, I do see some real value in being able to kind of like as a community affirm where did where did I just put Tucker? I thought I brought him up, but I don't see him up there now. Tucker, where'd you go? Here, come up here and be a speaker. Okay, now Carol, t- tell me about what you what, what is what do you make of that? About specifically the um, using blockchain the- to vote. <laughs> okay, um, well, there's a, a couple points, but I I think people need to realize how like 
how would you use blockchain to vote? Because are you talking about using a like joining a DAO and voting through the DAO? I know that's a, a term that. Come uh, on, Carol. He didn't get a chance because a DAO? I mean, listen, the blockchain is not really like again. It's a ledger. You just add stuff to the bottom of it, and it's a record of everything that has happened. And so I'm not even sure how Tucker is thinking people would use it to vote. Well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know either, but presumably, yeah. you know, the same way you would, I don't know how to use it at all, but, but everything you do is there forever. So hypothetically you log in with your key and you, you know, Select a candidate. I don't know, but the point is that the record of it would be there so that you could do a community check. And no, I mean, assuming that everyone voted through blockchain, which is another issue because mm-hmm. some people, I presume, are still going to be able to be able to use traditional options. So you will only be able to guesstimate whether the, you know, what the, whether the trend that you observe on Bitcoin is the same as what the overall vote results were. Yeah, and there are many reasons why you could expect that the community that votes on Bitcoin might have different politics in the population at large, but that's a whole other. Yeah, I mean, Tucker, well, what do you? Yeah, with that, how it's it's not really voting on Bitcoin. It would be like the individual like voting machines are connected to a blockchain system, where like when you come up to the like the voting machine and put in your uh scan like scantron or whatever. Like I don't know how every individual and votes but that's what we do and here in arkansas you slide in your scantron select a candidate and then it prints it off and then you slide it in and you walk out and get a free like a oh i voted sticker you could just get that as a blockchain system where it automatically sends it to the blockchain instead of just runs it through a private operating system does that make sense yeah, so one of the uh, technical things that is really good about a blockchain is that it slows things down. Uh, the technology uh, that is used for it is also used to kind of, um, and again, this is an idea from the Folding Ideas video, but it uh, slows down spam. And so part of the reason for that is, again, in order to write anything to the ledger, you have a bunch of computers who are trying to decipher some some mathematical problem in order to decide which computer gets to add to it. And so that makes the entire process extremely slow because you have to make your choice and then wait for all these computers to fight against each other by doing increasingly difficult crypto cryptography in order to uh, kind of win the bid. And then from there, it finally will add it and then they'll let you know like, hey, this is what's happening. And that's part of why crypto has developed this wallet system in order for people to be able to make exchanges more quickly instead of having to wait for uh, the blockchain to do its thing and then report back to us. So we're talking about people who are already waiting in line to vote for a very long period of time and adding blockchain technology to it, to me, like forget the privacy issues, which I am not necessarily in agreement with saying like, oh, well, your vote's already kind of public. I don't, I don't agree with that. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think that uh, you're adding a lot of complexity to the real life process of voting by putting it through that system. You're saying it would literally just take longer to vote because of Bitcoin? Uh, not just because whoop, you're whoop, wallet, wallet. wallet. Because you're going through the blockchain. 
I don't I don't understand anything. You just be yeah, saying it, words, Carol. It's a Bid. aspect of it. <laughs> like this this is why this is never gonna happen, guys, because our Congress people can't figure out Facebook and like the the, the, the government would have been felled by a fleet scandal. Like they can't handle what an Instagram, like a Finsta is. And there's just no way there's just no way there can ever be any kind of effective regulation or anything going on with, with crypto. Because you clearly need a master's or to be 14 years old in 2005 in order to understand this. Yeah, I think just really quickly, um, I kind of the worst best case scenario for this, like let's say crypto continues to be a thing. The experience of working with crypto is going to be very similar to uh, the experience of renting an apartment in New York City. And by that, I mean, if you've ever had Bad. to rent an appointment uh, or rent an apartment in New York City, you know that if you have a broker come to just open the door to the apartment and show you in, you have to pay like 10% of the entire rent. Like Correct. And so you have to pay this fee for no additional value. None. And so a lot of the people who are really excited about cryptocurrencies is because they're thinking of using it to create more ways to introduce these kind of random fees that provide no value, mm-hmm. but that they can skim off the top of. Mm-hmm. So like if you're putting your records on the blockchain and now you have to uh, pay to put the thing on the blockchain and then pay to like <laughs> move your records around and all that stuff, that's that's action that they can take fees off of. And so that is the future that we would be looking at. We'd be paying $10,000 to rent an apartment that any place else that didn't live in crypto world would just cost us the regular cost of the apartment. What do you make of that, Tucker? <laughs> it just depends. Like, I understand uh, where you're coming from, Carol, but at the same time, it just depends on how we structure it. Like, it's just like any economic system. Like, it's not inherently good or bad. It's how we legislate it and create it to sustain itself. Like you say, like we'd have to pay, like, for, like to create it and like to use the blockchain if we uh, have it for the voting system. Let's just take that uh, for example. Yeah, but I, I have no issue with that because, in my opinion, like knowing that the votes are actually like truly there and like aren't fiddled with in any way i think that there is use to that and it would be worth any potential cost even though honest like sure there would probably be cost just to add the system and like maintain it and all that stuff but there's already that way like that system already exists but right now it's on a county by county level and and i, and I hate saying like does that make sense but like i'm not no sober right now so like i don't want it to sound like i'm like uh i'm too sober (laughs) (laughs) i'm literally sitting here googling i shit you not guys like non-alcoholic liquors (laughs) it popped up it popped up in in the sidebar as an ad and i was like oh i don't want to get in the habit of drinking alone but i could really be sipping on something right now and this a mass dry gin it comes in a really pretty bottle (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm really trying i look i've been trying for two hours and 41 minutes and so nobody can say i didn't try okay well when, okay uh this is just a random thing do you have coinbase i do 
honey, Tucker, you know I don't have Coinbase. <laughs> okay. Well, they, well, if you like, if you do download it and like create an account and everything, there is a section where it is learn about cryptocurrencies and like you watch a video and you actually get a little bit of cryptocurrency in return. So like you learn about it and then also get a little bit in return. And then this you is can like going to Vegas and they give you free drinks and like a starter coin. Yeah, pretty much. And pumping pretty oxygen much. into the atmosphere. But, like, it, it, they constantly send you videos, so, like, you can constantly watch it. Like, that's what my brother's done, and he's made a lot of money just using Coinbase. And, like, for some reason, he got it, but I didn't until recently, and I'm like, that's that's not right. But that's just something to, like, inform, like, if you want to dip your toe into cryptocurrency, because you could switch that cryptocurrency over to Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency if you'd like, just to get you started. And then there's also a look um, at Tucker the pusher. <laughs> hey, I'm not getting anything from this. But there's also I uh, don't know if anybody or you know about it because you don't know it cryptocurrency. But there's a a browser called Brave Browser where they pay you in basic attention tokens, bats, which is pretty nice. Like it uh, has it's a just a regular web browser, but it has an ad blocker built in. And they uh, send you ads, and you watch the ads, and then they pay you in basic attention tokens, which then you can transfer to your this uphold account. This is so account. dystopian. This it's, is it's, so dystopian. Hey, hey, no, wait, 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 wait. I understand that, but at the same time, I'd rather get money for watching ads than the company and not get anything and still watch the ads. Because, um, like, on, on a Brave browser, you can also have it where – Oh, I'm every month. I'm going to give this much money to the Bad Faith podcast, and then each month, out of each person's Brave browser, it would send you a certain amount of basic attention tokens. Well, everyone should definitely do that. I mean, you know, so, yeah, Patreon.com/slash Bad Faith podcast. <laughs> you know, I you know your your girl's got to afford her non-alcoholic gin. <laughs> Because I think right now one basic attention token is like sixty four cents, so it's not bad. <laughs> like if you if people send you a couple basic attention tokens each month from just watching ads like they normally do. This is so this is so terrible, guys. I put a lot of free co- every week. You get a free episode and the video <laughs> content for free on YouTube. <laughs> I'm not gonna do this to do this extra coin. Wait, what? I'm just like hearing you think like, why do I have to do all this extra? I already do. I'm like, oh guys, I, I'm like the bit like this executive function situation. People are like, why aren't you making merch? Why aren't you cutting more clips for TikTok? Because I cannot. Because I am like, cannot. I need like, I know administratively everyone else has a staff. I was with another person in the left space recently and I was watching their assistant and I was like, oh my God, look at that. Would you look at God? Look at <laughs> look at how smoothly this is operating. Look at how helpful she is being. Look at look at how she does not have to run around trying to find people's email addresses and emailing them. And, and then oh, she's handling the technical aspects of this recording session. Oh, what a beautiful thing to behold! No wonder this person is able to accomplish so much. So I'm working on it. I'm figuring it out. I'm going to get my ducks in around 2020. But in the interim, I appreciate you, oh, Tucker. I have... Carol. Okay, go ahead. Shoot your shot, Carol. Okay. Tucker, I'm going to really quickly. Tether is mm-hmm. not... You have a great night. 
You too, Tucker. <laughs> Tether is not what? Not actually connected to anything. It's not tethered. It's a lie. It, it's a lie. Look up Bitfinance. It's not. They're playing money games and they've been sued for it. And they're oh. the most popular, well-known stable coin. And so if they're having problems, then you can imagine what else is happening with these other so-called stable coins. The other mm-hmm. thing I would say is that um, proof of stake, which people often use to talk about like, oh, you know, if, if we use proof of stake, uh, the environmental issues mostly go away. Just consider that everyone who is mining Bitcoin or has this ledger on their their books, they're holding, they have to store the entire ledger so that it can be decentralized. So just think about the storage capacity of that and then the cost of, you know, cooling all that stuff as well. So there's still uh, an impact there. And then um, the last thing I will say is that President Biden apparently is supposed to be signing some uh, crypto executive orders. Um, <laughs> which that what happens with that remains to be seen, but I think it's very much wishful thinking to think that there's going to be a kind of currency that is extremely powerful that the U.S. and other governments aren't going to put their hands in at some point in time. Stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> That's all I got for you. This man is really going to executive order some crypto stuff and not touch and not shoot it long. You know what? That's going to be it for me. I'm not buying a truck. I'm commandeering a truck at that point. You're going to see me. (laughs) You're going to see me getting pulled off an (laughs) 18-wheeler on the lawn. (laughs) Lord, Lord have mercy. Okay. All right. Thank you, Carol. Bye. You too. Okay, Day. Day, bring us home, Day. (laughs) Bring us home. Oh, Bree. Well, first... Well, you just brought this up because I don't drink. So I do have, there's this brand called Desois, D-E-S-O-I. Katy Perry and some lady who does this professionally created a brand of like non-alcoholic beverages. And I did get one of them, the purple one. It's purple. (laughs) I literally just poured a glass because you were talking about it. And I've been stressed like for two hours, three hours because I was watching the episode because this is a lie. If I'm being honest, Brie, at this point... Crypto feels like the wet dream of some oligarch who figured out how to have a real world alt account. Okay. <laughs> like Carol literally just said blockchain would take longer. And I'm like, in the year of our Lord 2022, <laughs> we don't even have high speed internet around our country, mm. the world, but we are prioritizing blockchain. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Cause we, we're ruled by rich people. Like mm-hmm. not to be dystopian. Cause I like to come in with love and stuff, but like mm-hmm. that, I have problems with so like while I can see the possibility the possible utility of blockchain in the future I can't grasp the difference between crypt the crypto market and the stock market right now given mm-hmm. that both are speculation and both are largely owned by elites so like no one seems to answer that question for me mm-hmm. and I mean unless it was magically in the last five minutes of the episode that I didn't get to finish <laughs> I should go with it <laughs> But um sorry, because that was in my spirit and I needed to rent that mm-hmm, out. Mm-hmm, but really. what I really wanted to talk about, there was a part of the episode that I really loved, kind of bring it back, I guess, closer in your wheelhouse. Um, Thank, was, you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I got you. I always got your back. Okay. <laughs> was The problem with America for me is she talked about the fact that, because I was curious when America is overtaken as the world power, will that then result in the R&B, you know, being the the currency with which we use and how that'll work. And she was saying, well, you know, it could take so long. I mean, I've seen some projections saying, you know, by 2030, that should be 
that could be a possible reality, mm-hmm. especially, I don't know. But I was thinking, well, the problem with America is simply its inability to have long-term plans mm-hmm. because especially given the fact that our sole focus is on short-term profit maximization, like that whole concept of fiduciary responsibility to mm-hmm. stockholders, mm-hmm. like it just makes it clear. So I'm like, we see that in our infrastructure, our education and other stuff compared to places like China. Like China really said, we're going to be the tortoise and America's going to be the hare. Like that's literally the game plan, I feel like, of the past 50 to 60 years. Mm-hmm. And so like when I see reports today, like of China creating alternate payment methods so to Visa and MasterCard so that Russia can invade, you know, so that they can, Russia can invade the problems they're facing with being sanctioned. I'm like, which is my question to you. Are you even confident like America would even see the writing on the wall before it's too late? Because at this point, I feel like we're frogs in a boiling pot. And China is looking at this, us outside the pot like, hey, this y'all. This is what I'm saying. There's just nothing about how we conduct ourselves that suggests that we have any kind of long-term thinking, even when it's not that long-term and even when the is just staring us in our face. So a country that, like, can't update its infrastructure from 70 years ago and not even getting to any environmental infrastructure, environmental trans- transfer to green energy. Like we're not even, I'm not, I'm just talking about like literally the bridge fell in the lake, put it back up level, (laughs) you know, from like 70 years ago. And meanwhile, China is over here just every other day I log on to Twitter and there's some bridge going through those tall pointy, those round finger looking mountains with all the trees growing on them and some high tech train is zipping through there looking like it's flying through the sky, George Jetson style. You know, and, you know, the subways with the people with the white gloves on, pushing everybody in all delicately. Like, I, I just, I'm not seeing it. China doing its little, its own little version of soft imperialism where it goes around and just builds infrastructure for the global south. Like, yes, please. Okay. And also, you're my friend now, right? Like, I, 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 I look at that and I look at us and I look at them and I look at us. And I really do believe Americans have this toxic thing where they don't think anything bad has ever could ever happen to them because they don't have any institutional memory of anything bad ever happening to them. And that's why 9-11 had the ability to just like stop this country in its tracks. It wasn't because, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a grievous tragedy for, you know, 3000 plus people to be killed through an act of terrorism, but also it affected us, I think uniquely because it truly never, like, it's never, it feels like Americans are like, it is unfair. It's not supposed to happen to me. The same way they're talking about Ukrainians. They're blonde and blue haired. That's not supposed to happen to them. And that kind of, like, internalized exceptionalism is a hell of a drug. And it's causing us to have absolutely no foresight whatsoever. And I, you know, a child of the developing world, <laughs> I just, I have this very blase kind of like, well, you know, Sometimes you come to school and you're told that your music teacher got killed on the road outside because that's how it is and the carjackings happen. And I'm sorry, that's that was my life. And I I don't know what to tell. I don't I I'm I'm not saying I know what's going to happen. I'm just saying that I think I'm more open to different kinds of possibilities than I unfortunately I think the people running our country are. Or even if they do think it's coming, they're like Hoarding and planning for their own personal financial futures and planning their rocket ship to the moon with Elon Musk. And they're just going to leave the rest of us behind. No, like I totally agree. Like until we have a leader who unplugs from the ivy of American exceptionalism, we will continuously be led by people who are blind. Like we will continue to have be led without a vision. Like we really need China, love it or hate it. They have a vision. Like I thought that was the most 
prescient point that she made in the portion of the conversation. I was sad that no one brought it up. I'm like, Mm -hmm. China was very methodical. And I'm not saying, you know, all the things they're doing are great. Of course, like there are terrible things they're doing, even though people pretend we're not doing our own. But like, how long do you think you can just close your eyes and put your feet on the pedal before you crash? And I just don't see anyone willing to take off the blindfolds and our leadership. And we are entrusting these people as the backseat passengers with our seatbelts on, like, hey, is anybody going to stop the crash? And I don't believe it's all doom and gloom because I don't want to be that person. But this whole conversation just exposes to me a an error in prioritization. Like, as Americans, I don't know if there's, because we don't have the same ethnic, like, you know, that they say like that nationalist identity that other countries some other countries have because they're more monolithic in terms of that aspect. I hope I said that correctly. But we I don't know if we have a space with which we can converse and actually talk about what do we really want as a nation? Like, what what are our priorities? Are we going to prioritize education? Because everything we do has no. to be... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, how do we... I, I've been thinking a lot. Like, how do we do that? Because everything that we do, because of the drug that we're all... Well, that so many of us are hooked up to has to be of exceptionalism and capitalism. Everything has to be funneled through those lenses. And it's like, those lenses are intended to filter out any sense of aspiration that things can be better or that an alternative is possible. I think people like countries like China or other countries who, socialist countries, who who realize, no, actually, we can create something different. And they still borrow from the same, you know, some of the aspects of it. I felt like they stepped back and said, what are my enemies doing? How do I one up them? And how yeah, do I do it yeah. in a way that I evade? It's almost stealth. And I'm just like, I think this is the, considering that our country got so much of its success and so much of its power so quickly, it's kind of like people who win the lottery, but they, if they lose it all, they don't know how to build their wealth back. And yeah. I so, yeah. Sometimes I, and this is like such a cynical read, and people who don't, you know, who don't like to talk about race or anything like this. But sometimes I think, America really believes that it's not, you know, having infrastructure and one of the first early literate, you know, countries with like high levels of literacy and all of these things that enabled us to succeed free, 400 years of free labor, (laughs) all of those things (laughs) that it was, you know, they, they truly believe, well, America is always going to have an edge on China because America, and when you start to scrape back what it means to be an American and to be unique and have the, you know, individualism and all of this stuff, it gets racial kind of quickly. And sometimes I think that kind of like collective cultural racial delusion that like, no, we're better. No, Americans are better. Like they're over there, drones who all look the same and all the other stereotypes that people use when they talk about Chinese people. Oh, they couldn't possibly come up with what we come up with because you know, we've got redheads and blondes and curly, like, like sometimes I think that that's really subconsciously what's going on with people. Like they think there's something intrinsically like biologically innovative and special about Americans that will always pull a rabbit out of our hat in the ninth inning. And like, that's not how it works. Wait, so Bri, are you, are you, are you saying that, that, the, that Americans have replaced the divine right of the King with the divine right of Americans, despite repudiating it when they were the oppressed in England? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost like this is why I really wish there were a camera. (laughs) Because 
I'm giving you all of the look. You know the look. Oh, I'm I know the you. look. That's why I had to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I only watch the videos for your looks. Okay. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, look, Day, I appreciate you closing us out. We're coming up on three hours. This was fun. I really appreciate all of you who tried to explain some things to me. I appreciate Bide for letting me dox him a little bit because I was like trying to look up some of his background to see if I was going to shoot my shot because I wasn't <laughs> hating that profile picture. But it's okay. He's engaged to a lovely woman, and I wish him the best of luck in their lives. And this was good. This I was only planning on going for two hours today, and this was a very relaxing experience. Thank you so much. Um, even without my um, libations. Uh, please subscribe. I am in the panic phase that happens at the beginning of every month when, of course, people, subscribers drop off because their credit cards don't restart or whatever at the end of the month. And I'm desperately trying to figure out what big sensation to put behind a paywall to get you to click over. But really, you should just click over and then I don't have to put a big sensation behind the paywall and I can let things trickle out in a normal sort of way. And let everybody hear the best stuff, which is how I kind of prefer for things to go anyway. Um, as always, I appreciate those of you who clip parts of this episode so I can push them to social media. Helps people hear the wonderful content that you're helping me generate here in these really substantive and important conversations. And as always, take care of yourself and keep the faith. This 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 outro song is a shout out uh, to Tucker my pusher. Hey, little mama, I gotta ask me if I want to. Just tell me, can I get a light? Roll you up and let it run through my veins. Cause I can always see the farthest stars when I'm on you. But I don't wanna ever come down on this crowd of loving you. Now you got me hopped up on that bush.
You're my little push of love, girl. Ain't you?